Hey, I've got a 15% charge now. You got a what percent charge? 15%. Okay, cool. Is it charging? Yeah, I, I, I left it connected. Okay, beautiful. All right, so we're three hours in. I don't think I've ever had one longer than 3.30. So we've got about 30 minutes here to wrap up a lot of this. <laughs> um, so let's get to it. So, um, sorry, I ram. I kind of, I kind of monopolized um, the race conversation there. So, I apologize for that. I really want to get your perspective, but I just, I, I have strong feelings about it, and I rambled. Um, so yeah, my broader point was, it, it was just, it's kind of remarkable to me that um, knowing where our family comes from, um, that race, uh, certainly during my upbringing, it was never part of the discussion. I certainly was never. Um, Race wasn't even really a, a conversation in my uh, life. Um, I think my mom did a wonderful job of that. I think the first time my mom tells a story, right, of me, of her being on the phone with someone, maybe it was with you talking about my black friend, Elon, uh, who was like, you know, maybe my first real, like, close, close friend in kindergarten, um, and her being on the phone with someone saying, my Alex's black friend. And me stopping her and telling her, Mom, Alon's not black. He's just a different shade of tan. Uh, and that was in kindergarten. Um, <laughs> and th that came from uh, um, one of the students in my class, class, Brandon, who was mixed race, dad, who, who, who died, actually. Um, his birthday was a few days ago. Michael, his dad, Michael Powell. Um, his dad was black and his mom was white. And so Brandon obviously was yeah. mixed race. and his mom came and spoke to our kindergarten class about race and gave like taught us that as kindergartners, like no one is black and white. We're all different shades of tan. And that was kind of my broader point that I was making uh, before we got the phone. I was like, listen, what is this black white thing? It's just skin color. And eventually we're all going to be basically the same skin color. So and it was just, it's just so preposterous. It, but anyway, my broader point well, was, you know, you know that's, it, that's it certainly that's seems to have never been part of our, it's not. A, it's never been a discussion in our family. There certainly wasn't any like inferiority discussion. Like they are less than us or separate than us. And in fact, it was the exact opposite. Uh, eventually, I guess when my mom did discuss race with me. It was very much the opposite. Like we are all a united human family. Uh, that's the only discussion I ever remember about race ever. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have been raised that way. But it's kind of remarkable to me that um, coming from where we do come from, that we weren't racist, honestly. <laughs> Or that your well, parents weren't, or, I mean, or you weren't, uh, or your yeah, husband well, wasn't? I mean, no, there was a distinction that was made by my parents. Right. I mean, I love my parents. I think I couldn't have had better parents in the world. But I may have told you this, but, you know, the, you know, Jay went to Neville for a year and a half, and he had this good friend. Uh, little, this is your girl, middle child. Jay. Jay. Yeah, yeah your middle son. I'm just... Yeah, I'm clarifying for the audience. Oh, Jay is okay. your middle son. Yeah. Um, anyway, this this was a it wasn't his girlfriend, but it was his friend. But I'm sure Jay made a point of uh, befriending anybody who was not white because that's the way Jay is. But anyway, <laughs> the contrarian. <laughs> this um, this girl was. Uh, was a black girl and her father was a dentist 
And so, I mean, and so far as socioeconomic, I'm sure she was above my parents. But mm-hmm. Daddy had a fit when Jay would get on the phone and would talk to her. I mean, he just—you can ask Jay about it. He could tell you more than I can that I'm telling you. But um, I, I do remember they had a phone in the kitchen, and um, I mean, that's when you were connected by a cord. And I remember him standing in in the kitchen talking to her and I mean daddy was just so upset so daddy accepted them but not as like social equals yeah Mm -hmm. and he always more of a separate but equal philosophy yeah yeah he he was kind and nice and everybody loved Clara but I remember him having I don't know, somebody in the house doing yard work or something, and he, you know, was a guy, and he referred to him as a boy, and he was not a boy. He was a older guy, you know. So that was just part of the culture there. You know I mean? They called called them boys. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was part of it. But in your mind, do you – because that is evidence. Like, that is evidence. That is racism. That is how – um, that kind of evil persists. Do you remember in your mind, like filtering that out as bad, or oh, yeah. like how I, did it annoyed, yeah, it annoyed me because I thought this, this this guy is not a boy. Why is he calling him a boy? Well, I mean, I knew why he was calling him a boy, but you know, yeah, that. I and, and Alex, I can't tell you why I, because I'm not I'm not like your mom. Your mom is close to divine, and I'm not a, a crusader. But that just, you know, I, I, I anyway, yeah, I just, that bothered me. And I, I don't know why I'm not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> but so you remember recognizing like, okay, this is racism or this is discrimination of some kind. Although, I don't know if you put that kind of label on it, but you remember recognizing like yeah. that's bad oh, yeah. thinking. I wasn't a little, I think I was an older kid. I, I, I wasn't a little kid. Yeah, it always, it bothered me. It bothered me when we would go by Carroll High School, which was the, black high school uh yeah but i mean i was not i i I didn't crusade or anything i i didn't even disagree with kids who had different opinions and i i don't i don't remember maybe the girls did say something but i i I don't remember that girls said anything it was always the boys (laughs) yeah male gender to be right yeah Yeah. Yeah, that's right evil (laughs) Evil white men, which we're all inherently evil. Um, um, Do you remember, what do you remember about like the civil rights movement and like race becoming a big part of like uh, American society in general? I guess at that point you would have been a a parent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I was really happy about that, but I was very involved in being a parent. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of political now, but I, I wasn't then. In fact, mm-hmm. the early part of my marriage when we were living in Richardson, Texas, I remember, of course, you, you, you I don't think you identify with any party, but I, I remember being a Republican. And um, I think Bob and I handed out flyers or something. It seems like we did something more than just talk about it. Anyway, for Nixon. <laughs> And then I became really? a convert. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? How did you get converted? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, maybe it was because. But I why are you still married? and I liked the way she dressed her children. <laughs> <laughs> was that a conflict in your marriage? No, uh-uh, because Bob wasn't. I mean, he didn't really pay much attention. No, he didn't feel strongly one way or the other, and I didn't really right. either. I mean, I just was very nominally involved in things. Right. Not like now in my old age. <laughs> Right. And this rabid person. Yeah. You're a rabid liberal now. Um mm-hmm. uh okay, so that's a good segue. So we kinda left off in the in the chronology of your life, um high school to college transition. What what was the impetus there? When you're graduating high school, was going to college just always like a given in your life? Was that the expectation uh from your family that you would go to college? Yeah, I don't think we ever discussed Discuss anything else, but yeah, that was just like going from elementary to high school. You went to college, right? right. Yeah. And what but did you I, think I, you wanted I, to? I, I was, you know, involved with this social thing that which I tried to explain to you about the stupid sorority. Uh, again, it was the sorority thing going to SMU, and um, we had all these people um, who were very active in a in an alum chapter in Monroe, and so they all wrote letters and everything. And so um, there, there were six of us who went to SMU that year, and they were all the others were from Neville. I was the only one, you know, from West Monroe. Um, so it, it was the social thing again. I mean, the social Monroe, I think, is still kind of, you know, like yeah. and socially. Um, yeah. Man. So, yeah. So why SMU? Like why this private Christian school in Dallas? How did that happen? I'm trying to think. Initially, when I was younger, uh, I wanted to go to, um, well, I can't remember the little Texas town. Oh, I can't think what it, Sol Ross College. That's where, I, I, that's the name of the college. It, it's still there, but I can't remember the name of the, the little Texas town. I think it's in southwest Texas. And I, it, Alex, I was such a superficial little kid. I was so involved in, uh, with horses and things like that. So I had chosen that school kind of in my head. I, didn't, I don't remember that I discussed it with mother or daddy because I found out you could take your horse with you. <laughs> so, so that's really <laughs> where I wanted to go, but somehow or other I got involved in the social thing. And I think mother wasn't a social thing, but I think it, it pleased her that, that I was accepted by the people. I I mean, I don't know, Alex, I don't really know how to express that. So you think your high school sorority was the vehicle that brought you to SMU? No, not my high school sorority, just the whole atmosphere. I mean, I, 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 go on. The SMU involved me with the people I had been friends with at, at Neville, and the, they were the socially acceptable, the people who, whose parents were professional lawyers and doctors and things like that are, are well, I, I'm trying to think. Sally's, uh, the, well, this will get too involved. Anyway, they they either owned businesses or they were, you know, professionals like lawyers or something like that. Right. Um, but, I mean, my, my this doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who had a a good profession in Monroe was very 
into the social scene because my very best friend when I was in elementary school, um, father was a doctor and she lived down the street from us. And I mean, they weren't at all social. I mean, they weren't. In fact, that lady was pregnant when mother was pregnant with her third child and she lost her child too. And um, oh. anyway, um, they they were just really good friends. In fact, that's the friend. <laughs> that's the friend who had the farm outside of town that I would go with through the the smoke of the paper mill. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and when you're that, when you're go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to ask about SM, like going to SMU. What did you think you wanted to study? What did you want to do? Were you thinking about that? Like, what, uh, what was your thought process uh, going transitioning from childhood to adulthood? It it was always art, and that's the okay. only way I made was in art. <laughs> I made <laughs> I, I made a I think a C in science. I I guess it was biology. Uh, social studies was different from for me because. We had this one um, huge social study class. It was, uh, what do you call it, when you just do the whole thing real fast. I can't think what it's called. Anyway, it was this huge class, and we met in this, I don't know, some big auditorium on campus. But we had also connected to this history thing. We had a philosophy course, uh, which was just in a, you know, a, a regular classroom size. And I'd never been exposed to anything like that. And I I think I felt a little bit intimidated, but in retrospect, now I'm thinking, I'm glad I had that. I can't tell you what we, we studied, but it was just something <clears throat> different. It was something neat. I mean, you know, to right. me, some, but, um, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I made a, a enough of an average to be initiated in the sorority. I mean, you know, I kept my average up, but I, but except for art, I, I, that was only a, I made, I think I made a B in English. I think I made a B in French, but, um, and I didn't take math. Uh, oh, you were asking about that. I, I really didn't intend to go back to SMU, um, because I thought I'll never, I'll never pass math. And at SMU, you could substitute Greek for math. And so that was my plan. I was going to substitute Greek. Uh, because Greek? The Greek did, language? Uh-huh. You could substitute wow. that in math. And <laughs> Those so two make equivalents. Well, I, I guess it was just to exercise your brain. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had Latin, two years of Latin in high school, which I didn't like at all. But I thought I, I could... I I I'm so bad in math, Alex. I just thought that would be a more apt thing to be able to pass than anything in math. Right. So anyway, right. I, I remember though talking to mother. I must have been home for I don't know Christmas or Easter or something, and mother was still doing my hair. <laughs> she she would she would curl my hair. I was just this baby. And I remember talking to mother and saying that I wanted to go to the University of Chicago, um, no, not the University of Chicago, Chicago Art Institute. Because, and I don't know if I could have gotten in, but that was my plan for myself. I, I didn't, I, I didn't plan to go back to SNU. It was just a social thing. And I really, you know, 
and I, I guess I could have graduated in art and, you know, had a degree in art, but I really, I, I really wanted to do something, you know, that was beyond what I could get at a regular college. And, I, right. I, I might, and so this I, is the, this is the summer after your freshman year that you're, yeah, you're thinking about this? Uh, no, this was probably in the middle. I was probably home for holidays and, and mother okay. agreed. Mother was always, like, mother, I don't know how mother was going to finance this, but oh, I, I was, I was so spoiled. Somehow they came up with the, I mean, SMU is a terrifically expensive school. Um, yeah. like I said, mother had to go back and work as a church secretary in order to finance because daddy didn't have enough money just on his own. I mean, all these right. people I SMU with were very comfortable. They either their parents either had professions or they owned something. I remember my roommate owned uh, her dad owned this big stationary uh, equipment um, um, business, and then another one owned a Chrysler Plymouth uh, dealership, which did real well. So uh, one was a, a cotton broker. They lived in Monroe because. His cotton brokerage business was in Winsboro, and that was too small. They didn't want, actually they had moved from Dallas, and so they didn't want to live in a town that small. So anyway, and then you know they just anyway, it was just yeah. it, SMU. I don't know what it's like now. It was just a very social thing there. I imagine it's probably pretty similar. I mean, Southern Methodist University, a private Methodist university in Dallas. I imagine it's probably pretty similar. Well, I had a friend that graduated from Western Ohio, and she had gone to Baylor. So I remember going down to see Anna, and I just thought I was so sophisticated because I told you about buying those Turkish cigarettes, which now it seems appalling to me that the student center would have sold cigarettes, but back then, you know, kids smoked. And I, my, the dorm that I was in was right across from the student center, and I remember buying these have you ever seen, I don't even, I don't guess they sell anymore, but they're different colors. They're slim and they're yeah. different colors. Anyway, yeah. I just, I thought I was so sophisticated. I went down to Baylor. I could not openly smoke on the Baylor. SMU you could, but not Baylor. I guess it's still maybe more religious. I, I don't know what it is, but uh -huh. anyway, uh, I just thought I was so sophisticated and, and uh, my friend's, thought I was too and <laughs> was going to Baylor and she finished school there at Baylor too. She was a her family was a strong Baptist family. Uh, anyway. So tell us how your uh, SMU career ended. What was the next like landmark? I mean I obviously I know what the next landmark is but but tell us. What uh, well then I I was mar I got married. So and where did you meet this gentleman and tell us that story. Okay, um, he, he he was a blind date. A friend of mine was dating his best friend, and so we went to an SMU football game. And I didn't really, I I wasn't at all attracted to him, and he wasn't, I don't think, attracted to me. Anyway, he didn't ask me out again, and so anyway, this is the strange thing. Um, I don't know if it's still this way at SMU. It was a really, I think, a school that attracted girls. I mean, for the social end of it. I mean, at yeah. least that's my perspective. But not that many. 
I mean, there were boys there, but they were not like jock boys. They weren't very right. nice looking. I mean, it, they, it were, <laughs> they weren't. Anyway, um, I, I never, I, I never dated anybody at SMU that I felt attracted to. Um, right. Anyway, so Tridelt had, I mean, of course, they always had dances for different occasions, and there was this Christmas dance. And so I thought, I thought, you know, who am I going to invite to this Christmas dance? And there wasn't really anybody. So I remembered Bob, and so I I invited him, and I, I just I, I I felt attracted to him at at the dance, and so that. But I really liked this other boy more, <laughs> who. I, I think I told you about this boy named Leo. I told you about him, uh, right? For probably, but like I said, it's five years ago. Tell us. Anyway, his little brother was a real good friend of Lawson's, and so the summer after I graduated from high school, Leo came over one day to pick up his little brother. And I guess I don't, you know, it's been too long ago. I guess we must have talked. And he had gone to SMU. He, at the time he was um, going to Louisiana Tech, he had just gone to SMU one year and then uh, transferred to Louisiana Tech. He was two years ahead of me. Anyway, I was very attracted to him. I mean, very attracted to him. And so um, we we dated a little bit and I, because – we had this SMU connection. I think that made the relationship even closer. And he told me about, he was a Kappa Sig. He told me about his fraternity life and everything. And um, anyway, but I felt a lot, I know I felt a lot stronger towards him than he did to me. I mean, I just, feel that I did and he'd had a lot more experience with girls than I'd had with guys and so that made it I, I well, anyway I, I don't want to get into that but um anyway when I was at SNU I, I would write to him and he would write to me and I always I, I mean he was the person I was attracted to I, I was not attracted mm-hmm. to any SMU except until like I say Bob went to this dance with me, and I, I sort of felt attracted to him, but not to the extent that I was attracted to Leo. But anyway, um, when I, I I can't really remember this exactly, but I think when I, I went back home for Christmas holidays, it seems like either... I can't remember if Leo didn't ask me out. It seems like he did ask me out, but this sounds really silly and childish. But I expected him to bring me a Christmas present. <laughs> and he didn't bring <laughs> a Christmas present. And, and my feelings are really hurt. Um, I, I know it sounds really stupid, but they were because... I mean, I just thought there was more of a connection. And, I mean, for him, there obviously wasn't. And um, I remember going to a Christmas party, and uh, I think somebody in my high school must have gotten it together or something. And he was there, and I don't know why he was there, because he was 
you know, by then he would have been a junior in college, but he was there. I don't know. I, I It's been too long ago. I just remember feeling hurt that, because I, 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 I remember, I can remember the boy's name. His name was Rawls Dupree, and he had invited me to go to this party. So I had a, I had a date, but I mean, I didn't really like this date. It was, it was all about this guy named Leo. And anyway, that was the last I remember seeing him. And I remember he wrote me a letter. It was a nice letter after I got, after I went back to SMU after Christmas. Um, but I don't, I don't, I wish I'd saved the letter because I, I just, I remember feeling hurt. But anyhow, when I when I got back to SMU after Christmas, Bob just popped up and he came over on my birthday because my birthday was January 30th. I hadn't been back at school very long, just a few weeks. When he came over and he brought me, I remember this gray uh, cashmere sweater, which I never wore very much. It was scratchy. I can't stand scratchy things. But I thought, golly, that's really nice that he'd gotten it from Neiman's, you know, Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. Because he likes to, I mean, his parents bought a lot of stuff at Neiman's. And anyway, I I guess I loved Bob, but I never was attracted to him ever. I mean, I shouldn't tell you this, my grandson, but I never was attracted <laughs> to him like I was this boy who obviously didn't, you know, reciprocate the strong feelings yeah. that I for him so anyway um but i guess bob liked me because i remember him taking me to um the dallas country club and i I felt like he did that to impress me because um i i I probably have told you this before you couldn't just belong to the dallas country club if you had enough money you had to be accepted socially and so his mom was very acceptable socially, and then his dad was a doctor, so I guess that made his whole family acceptable socially. I mean, right. it was like you could join them, like the Bayou Desert Country Club because you had enough money. In Dallas, you had to be socially acceptable in order for the club to... I mean, there were other country clubs you could belong to just because you had enough money. But in Dallas, you had to be... I mean, the Dallas Country Club was like the country club. And I remember Bob taking me there um, and ordering, this was in the daytime, ordering a shrimp cocktail. And I never had a shrimp cocktail before. And it was really good. <laughs> I think he probably ordered. So, so I really think he he was trying to impress me. Yeah, um, clearly. So, um, anyway, but I, I did like his mom and dad. They were very nice to me. And I liked his sisters. I wasn't so sure about his his. I didn't ever really get real acquainted with his brother, his older brother. But um, but you know they were very nice. He had a very nice family. And so anyway, then when he went to um, when you know school was out, and he went to Evergreen. They had a they had a home or cottage something. I never saw it outside of Denver in Evergreen, Colorado. And he always went there. He liked horses too. That was another thing we had in common. Um, uh, he had, I think, a little horse there. He didn't have a horse in Dallas. And um, 
So anyway, then I just feel very, I felt very lonely. I really did miss him. So anyway, then we had these phone conversations and he, he didn't have a job or anything. And but he thought he could get a job at Seven Eleven. You know any of So wait, was he a senior when you were a freshman? No, we were both just freshmen. No, in fact, okay. I was I was um, two months and four days older than he was. My birthday January. So this is this was April. So this 3rd. time, so you're this time period that you're talking about where you're missing each other and he's in Colorado is the summer after your freshman year. Yeah, we were both just nineteen. Okay. Yeah, and he was goofing off in school too. I mean, I was, I was as conscientious as I could be and still pledge the sorority because there were a lot of demands if you were pledging the sorority. So if I hadn't right. been in that, I would have devoted more time to school. But I mean, I didn't ever fail anything. I think I made a C in something, but everything else, the well, only A I ever made was in art. But I made, I think, Bs and everything else. So I mean, I was a lot more conscientious than he was. He just was goofing off, but see, his parents had sent him to military school. So I'm thinking, <laughs> actually, after all this time at 83, I'm thinking there were some things I didn't really know about him because why did his family send him to military school? He went to military school in Mexico, Missouri his last two years. And I know people did that in my hometown, but I don't know. I just feel like there's something, and I'll never know because his parents are both dead and all of his siblings are dead. But I'm thinking, he must have done something. <laughs> they sent him to military school. Because yeah. his other his siblings had graduated, well, his brother had graduated from Highland Park, which is his best public school, or was, because it's in Highland Park, which is an incorporated area inside Dallas. And yeah. so mostly wealthy people went there. And then his um, his sisters had gone, I think maybe they graduated from Highland Park too, but they went to um, a private girls' school. I can't remember what it was called. Anyway, his his parents, I mean, they weren't really terribly wealthy, but I mean, they were, you know, they were socially acceptable in Dallas society. So um, Bob was very aware of that, even though, I mean, he put it down. I know he was very aware of that. Um, right. So. So how did y'all end up getting married? Well, anyway, um, we, we would talk back and forth, and like I said, he was in Evergreen, and he we then started talking about how we we knew that the the parents wouldn't approve. We would just elope. So we found out. And why? But like, why? Why the impetus? You're gonna be back in school together, right? In a couple months, and. What's the hurry? Well, I mean, we just wanted to be together. I but mean, weren't I, you going to be together when you went back to school? But it wouldn't be the same thing. I mean, okay. I'd be living. You wanted in to the live together. Now, you wanted to. Yeah, right. Right. And people didn't live together back then. Right, 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 right. Together. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. So, anyway, I don't remember how this happened, but he. Told, uh, told me that he had a job at Seven <laughs> Eleven in so, Dallas. In Dallas, and so anyway, we were going to elope, but and we found out that you could get married. I, I don't know what the requirement is for being married now, but you had to have a Wasserman test, a urine test, or something. 
and then it was this three-day waiting period. And so he had this job that was going to start life on a Monday at 7-Eleven. So we found out that she would get married in Vicksburg, Mississippi, without this three-day waiting period. What? So, what? You have to take a you have to take a, a urine test to get married. A Wasser, I think it's called a Wasserman test or something. If you got married in Louisiana or Texas, but in Mississippi you didn't have to take this test. I mean, I have what to was the, What were they testing for? Uh, the venereal disease, I think. I think that's what it was. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of this. I, I'm gonna look it up. But I was thinking I'm telling you the right name. Anyway, anyway. Don't, don't look it up now. Don't look it up. Don't look, don't look it up now. Keep talking. No, I'm, I'm not. Um, anyway, so he had this wonderful job at 7-Eleven lined up. And, <laughs> I, and I had no job. So anyway, somehow or other, I can't remember how this occurred, but both families found out about it. And so anyway we still were going to get married in um in in Vicksburg so he could go to his wonderful 711 job so Harold and Doe that's his mom and dad drove over to Monroe mother and daddy and and Harold and Doe and I think his sister Anne I think she was along anyway we were married at this Methodist church I don't remember the name of it in Vicksburg, and then we went. We didn't have time to have a honeymoon because Bob had this wonderful job opportunity at the Seven Eleven. Couldn't pass it up. We went down to New Orleans, I think, for one night, and he hated New Orleans. He, most people don't like it, but he thought it was horrible and dirty and everything. So then we um, we came back. To Monroe spent the night in Monroe and then drove on to Dallas and then he um, he was to start this job at 7-Eleven but I don't remember what happened to it but he didn't have the job after all so he went to work in this I think it was like a lumber company or something I mean it was really hard physical labor and his dad got me a job as a filing clerk at um, Hager Slats in the office all I did was file. That's all I did. Just file, put things in folders. But I was making more money than he was at the lumber company or whatever it was. And I remember, and I'm not going to repeat this, I remember, I mean, it really must have been the lowest caliber of people working at this thing because he told me stuff I had never heard of, like, I mean, like, depraved things that this that these guys did. I mean, I was just totally shocked. And I don't think he'd heard of them before. Um, anyway. But, Do you want to offer more detail about that? What? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. And I really don't remember a lot of detail. Honestly, I just never heard of it. Because, Alex, I was pretty sheltered. I mean, yeah. in retrospect, I was extremely sheltered. <laughs> yeah. Um, because my parents were these, you know, church-going people, and uh, anyway, another story that I won't get into. Wait, but, so, uh, so, wait so y'all get married, you go back to Dallas? You're working at the... Uh, yeah, we had, an, we, had an, we had an apartment 
I, I, I got pregnant with your mom. I was like immediately. All the time. Yes, she was she was born nine months and ten days after we were married. Because wow, we did not. I'm, I'm telling you more than I really want to tell you. We did not exercise any kind of contraception because right. I didn't know about any contraception, Alex. <laughs> I really didn't. I really didn't. Apparently my mom didn't either, by the way. But anyway, get, keep going. Um, anyway, so, so anyway, soon after we were married, I, I, I got pregnant. And I was sick all the time. I mean, I was horribly nauseous. And I remember Bob's Bob's parents were really kind to to me. Bob's mother played bridge every day, so she was at home. And she would, I think our apartment must not have been air conditioned because I remember they had this, it was, I think it originally had been a porch off their living room, but it was, they had made it into their TV room. And I remember it had rattan furniture, and I remember lying on the rattan couch and being so glad to be in something that was cool. And I think she must have cooked. Well, she didn't cook. They had a they had a, a black couple, Frankie and I H. Uh, Frankie was the woman. I H was the guy, and they lived on the property. They had, this was back when people had who had enough money had like quarters in the back of their garage and this is where right, they're yeah, yeah. uh you know you saw that movie it was that's true it's, it's actually true i can't what was the help is that the name of mm-hmm. it yep anyway frankie and i live in the back of their garage and um so i think Joe didn't cook i think she just played bridge every day except Thursday <laughs> because that was the day that harold took off and so she stayed home that day so anyway i i can't really remember i just uh, who cooked for me but i don't remember I, I, I was so taken care of by his parents i really i mean they were really good to me i would never say anything bad about harold or doe they they were just very nice to me and i remember lying there for i don't know how many months when i was sick and um um you know, I, and that was Jay. It wasn't like that. I, I maybe threw up once or twice with Sean. I didn't have any nausea at all. I really think that my body was not ready, not ready. to be pregnant. Yeah. I mean, because I matured very late. I mean, in, in mm-hmm. every physically. And so I mm-hmm. just think I mean, it's my own idea, but I really just think I was not ready to be pregnant. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, um, was there any – were y'all planning on returning to SMU? I, I, I'm still not clear about that. Or was when, – when y'all decided to get married, was it like, okay, we're going to get jobs now and be adults? Or was there a, a plan I to return to college? Or? I guess we – well, I mean, I certainly planned on Bob returning to school, and I guess I planned on it somehow. I don't – we were just empty-headed kids. Right. I, 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 we just – I mean, we shouldn't have ever gotten married. I mean, it was ridiculous. Right. Were, yeah. We were very immature. I think most kids are more mature than we were probably when they were in the middle of high school. We were just yeah. very immature. Um, so, uh, but I remember, I, I remember writing um, Bob's 
English paper. I don't remember what I wrote it on, but I mean, I didn't have anything to do. I didn't, uh, after I got so sick, I had to quit my job because, you know, I had sick, I was sick every day. So I remember in the apartment, you know, writing his papers for him because that was fun to me. I, I enjoy, I, I could do English. I was always pretty good in English. And, um, and then, um, anyway, <laughs> I don't know if you want any more story. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. So, so then y'all didn't go back to SMU that I after you got married. But, 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 um, Bob was supposed to have gone back to school. Uh, but he kept, he got a job. Let's see. What did he get a job doing? Oh, he was a ma- he was majoring in accounting, and so he got a job. I can let's see. Did, did anyway, something along those lines. At what point? At what point did he go back to school? Well, he got a job. I was going to tell you he got a job at a um, as an accountant at a. I think it was a construction firm, uh-huh. and he was supposedly going. SMU had a a night school. It was called Dallas College. And so you could go downtown to these classes that only met at night. And I, Alex, I'm telling you really more than I want to tell you. (laughs) Good. I like the sound of that. Um, But I had this friend that I had gone to SMU with, and she had graduated. And she was my roommate, actually, real, the one who was very conscientious. And she had a mm-hmm. job teaching night school, teaching English, I believe. And so I, I remember talking to her on the phone and saying, oh, Carolyn, you can get a ride down there with Bob. He's going to night school. Well, so anyway, I arranged that. And then I don't remember the, the time frame. But Carolyn called me one day, and she, I think she was hesitant to tell me this. But I guess because we were good friends, we've been friends in high school, she felt like she needed to tell me this. And she uh, she said, um, Bob is not going to class. She said, I have walked down the hall and he's just sitting in the library. (laughs) So anyway, then I confronted him with this and I think I called his dad. I thought something is going on here. And so he had issues. And I, I don't want to go on any further or any de- deeper. There were other issues that I, I just am not comfortable talking to you about. So I don't know, Alex. I don't really know. I, I maybe. I mean, I, I don't know what it, it stemmed from. I think he just felt like he couldn't finish, but he could. I mean, he was a. I mean, he was an intelligent person, and then. Later on, um, you know, he worked. Well, there were many issues which I'm not going to go into before we left Dallas. But then, you know, he went to work for the CPA firm in Atlanta, and he didn't even have a degree, and they knew he didn't have a degree. But he was smart, and um, when he opened up his own financial services business, I'm sure. All the people thought he did have a degree and, and, and that he probably was a CPA too. I guess they just didn't inquire, but he took every client that he had when he opened up his own business except for one. 
who didn't know, I, I guess, that Bob wasn't a CPA, and he thought it was more prestigious to stay with Keynes, Benader, and Emerson, which was the name of the CPA firm that Bob worked for. So, Oh, so when he um, left his firm in Atlanta, he took all of those clients with him? Yeah, he did. And he, um, except that one. Okay. So, except for one. It was an advertising. So he met. So I think, I mean, I'm sure he could have gotten through school. I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I can't explain him to, or his lack of motivation or, I mean, I had thought, well, maybe it stems from the fact that his dad was a doctor and that his brother was a lawyer and he, you know, felt like he just didn't measure up to them. I don't know. Who knows what goes on in people's heads? I don't know. Right. But there wasn't like substance abuse or anything like that? Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. In fact, we didn't even huh. drink. We didn't even drink because my parents um, didn't drink at all, you know, because they were these staunch Methodists. Um, I, I never saw my dad take a drink in his life. I remember we were at some kind of party at some time. I remember mother drinking some wine and being surprised that mother was having some wine. Um, so, no, even when we built our house in Dunwoody, um I don't think we drank. Um, I, I remember one night, somebody had brought some liquor over to our house. We must have been having a get-together or something, and they they left it there. And I remember one night being upset with Bob, and I don't remember what the issue was then. And I remember going and pouring myself a drink. <laughs> and so that's the only touch with liquor that, I, I mean, I've never been able to even stand to smell beer. I don't like beer at all. I, I mean, I, you know, as a much older adult, I, I will drink wine and and uh, and I, I can enjoy wine. I, when Sean brought me back um, from Colorado, you know, a few weeks ago, I remember your mom and, and Morgan being here and he went out and brought back the best wine I have ever tasted. I don't know what he paid for that. Um, so, yeah, I do have a little bit of a taste of wine, but I mean, I don't have any need for for liquor, and I, uh, you know, because that's the way I was brought up, and um, right. there wasn't anything in the house. Mother and Daddy didn't smoke. Uh, I smoked at SMU because I thought I was the sophisticated person. <laughs> and, um, I I've probably told you this when I, I would get mad at Bob, I would go buy a pack of cigarettes because I knew he hated smoking. But then I remember, I remember when we were at SMU and we'd go downtown to movie theaters that had balconies and he was like Mr. Joe College and he so he smoked briefly <laughs> a pipe and I would have to sit in the balcony because you couldn't sit downstairs while he smoked his pipe and I, I you know <laughs> so anyway that's all Joe I had to College. tell you. Um, okay, well, I have some I, I have some follow up questions, but uh, I mean, I don't think I'm going to violate any sort of uh, 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 transparency you want to not offer. Um, so he never finished college. No, he never did, and everybody thought he had a degree. They just assumed that right. he had a um, you know a financial services business. He had a degree. I, I, it, I just right. blows my mind that somebody didn't ask at some point. Maybe they did. You know about what kind of degree he had or when he graduated from SMU, but if they did, it's, it's something I don't know about, you know? Right. And you didn't finish college until after y'all ended up getting divorced. 
Uh, right. I was 36 years old when I went back to school. Okay. And okay, I, so I let's... Because Sean was two, and I, you know, I mean, I'd always stayed home with my kids, and so I, and, you know, it was a different era. Women didn't work. Yeah. Still, so back right. then, and so I didn't want to leave my little child, especially since he didn't have a father around. So the only thing right. I could think to do was to teach, and I was a really right. bad teacher. I didn't, I didn't. Hold like on. It. All right. So hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's let's connect. Let's connect the dots. Let's connect the dots. So you get married. He's working at a lumber mill or whatever. You're being filing papers. Uh, you're pregnant at the time. My mom is born uh, in. Uh, March 1957. So you're 20 years old when my mom was born. You get pregnant when you're 19. You're both 19, uh, mm-hmm. and then you're both. He's not even. He's 19 when she's born. He's not, he's in April. Not, he's not even 20 yet because she was yeah, born he's, on the 10th, and his birthday is April the 3rd. Right. So my mom was born to a teenage father. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, okay. So. What was life like once you had a child? You quit your job, I'm assuming, at that point, and you're a stay-at-home mom. Um, I I quit my job when I when I had morning sickness, so I didn't. Okay. I, my job was very short-lived. <laughs> okay. And so then you have a kid, and how, what was life like then? Once my mom was born, well, then I you know was I just loved my little baby, and um, and I think Bob, I mean, was jealous of your mom. I think he really. Was. Yeah, you didn't know that. You uh, know that. I don't think I've ever heard that explicitly delineated in that sense. But go ahead, elaborate on that. Well, you've heard of his. You've heard of Bob slapping her in the face when she was six months old because she spit out spinach. You've heard that story, haven't you? Oh, I think I think you've told. I think you told me that the first time I interviewed you. But tell it. Well, we we were in this apartment and. Um, her, I can just see it now. Her little high chair was up against the dining area, and he was feeding her spinach. And you know how babies will just kind of spit, and she just kind of yeah. Spit I mean, yeah, I do. And, I do it every just, day. <laughs> but you know, really seriously, you know, they'll just kind of spit up the food. I mean, they're just not. No, I'm I'm talking about literally. I feed a baby every day, so yes, I know what you're oh, talking yeah. about. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's how I produce <laughs> it, baby. Anyway, he just slapped her across the face. I wow. I mean, I really. I mean, yeah, that's a criminal act. You could go. You should be put in a cage for that, at least for a short period of time. Well, I. That's a criminal act. It's child abuse. This, I'm it's a felony. This I, I, I'm not saying this is fact, but I think he was always jealous of your mom because I loved her so much. I mean, I think most women, when they have, I mean, I never. Plan on having a child. I mean, because I'm not that maternal. But once I had a child, I mean, right. she was my focus, my total focus. I just loved her so much, and yeah, so I, yeah, it so that took away from him. Um, and he's 19 <laughs> or 20, you know. And I'm not yeah, to well, not I mean, to not to not to excuse his behavior at any point, but like y'all are both children yeah. by 2020 standards. Y'all are probably both like 14 year olds. Um, yeah. and you know, you're like Rowan, your, your great, your granddaughter, Rowan, my cousin Rowan, she's 15, you know, that's probably about the maturity level you had. And, you know, he's, he gets married and let's be real. 
you know, a 19 year old gets married because they want to have sex. <laughs> that's to be totally just honest about what that was. You know, the reason coming from a male perspective and coming from a male, having lived with a male brain and a male body for 32 years, I can tell you he wanted to get married because he wanted to have sex. I can tell you that for a fact. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what he's expecting. He's like, oh, great. I get married. Um, I get to have sex whenever I want. But the sex was supposed to a child. <laughs> right. But right, exactly. You know, when you're a 15-year-old, you don't realize what that means. Like, the, the purpose of sex is not for you to, like, you know, have fun and experience pleasure. That The purpose of sex is to create human beings. I think our, our brains have hijacked our bodies, uh, and pleasure is associated with sex because that's our brains hijacking our behavior so we do keep the species going, <laughs> but that's not the purpose of right. sex. That's a trick. <laughs> the right. trick is, right. hey, this is gonna, this is something you want to do, but the purpose is to make more people. And so all of the, not sorry, I'll let you chime in here in a second. Uh, but all of a sudden, he's thinking he's getting one thing, and then that thing that he wants all of a sudden has produced another human, and then you as the mother, all of a sudden your attention and focus is not your husband maybe just as a secondary focus, your primary focus is now raising a human that you guys have made. And all of a sudden he's like, what the fuck? And he doesn't have the maturity or the life perspective or the rationale. You know, he's a 20 year old kid. His brain is still developing. He's still a child. And so all of a sudden he's like, what the hell? You know, I got married to this person because I wanted to have a girlfriend basically. Uh, And now all of a sudden I have a I have to take care of a, a a human and then now my girlfriend isn't interested in me anymore. She's interested in this human we've made. He's like, What the fuck is going on? And I think I think to this day that's how a lot of relationships still kind of develop. But <laughs> like you know even I, I don't think <sighs> I, I don't think that that's necessarily a hundred percent consistent with all relationships. And I was not okay. in the term person, Alex. I didn't want to have, I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought, oh, I want to have a child. Like, my mother desperately wanted to have a child. You know, she was 31 before I was born, and she wanted to have a child. It, it wasn't a sexual thing. She wanted a child. Right. And, right. Um, but That's your mother. Um, yeah, my mother. <laughs> but anyway. Right. I can only comment. I can only comment. I'm commenting on what it is to be a male. And I'm just yeah, telling yeah. you. Being a male, especially being a 19-year-old male, your life is driven by your penis. I can – that is a fact. <laughs> and that's a biological fact. It's supposed to be that way. We exist as human beings today. We've come this far as human beings because of that very fact. The male brain is driven by sex, especially at 19. But let me tell you, this was not true of my son. Because of your son, my son, this the relationship was not the same when Jay and Sean were born. Because, um, well, he's when you're Jay and Sean are born, it's years later, right? His well, he's had more well, time to accept his new reality, he's had more time to, um, in my mind, like kind of castrate himself in a way, um. And and I think that's a process that happens still today. I, I see it a lot. I see this 
as men get married, I see this kind of self-castration start occurring. They become like doughier. They become less uh, vibrant. They become uh, less of a masculine. I see this all the time with my own friends and just with people getting married in general. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not, you know, this hunter-gatherer in the forest anymore. I'm now at the behest of child-rearing. And so you like lose a lot of that vibraciousness as a male. I, I see. Anyway, but I, this is my well, personal me, perspective. And well, yeah, let, this let, is your let, interview. So go ahead. Okay. Let me tell you about our relationship though. After Robin was born after a while, and maybe this goes along with your thinking too. Um, we thought it would be nice to have another child so that there Robin was, would have another sibling. So, uh-huh we didn't do anything to to not get pregnant. And right. so when Jay was born, both of us were, I hadn't really thought about this, both of us were 22 because he was born in December. Yeah, we neither one of us had had our 23rd birthday yet. But we were, Bob at that point was trying to be so adult. I remember when Jay was born, he came up to my room and he had, uh, we, you don't know this, but during that period, men were wearing hats, still wearing hats in the fifties, and he uh-huh. had on he had a uh, a sport coat on, a tie, and a hat, a hat like my dad always wore a hat. I never saw my, I mean, in the winter it was a felt hat, in the summer it was a straw hat. He never never called on any customers without a hat on. So anyway. But that just stands out in my mind because Bob was so young. I mean, he was only right. 22. And it, I, I, I just think most 22-year-olds weren't wearing hats. But my dad was wearing a hat. But anyway, so he was trying to be old. He was trying to fit the right. part of adult right. and a parent. So with I Jay, think that's – anyway, sorry, go ahead. Anyway, he, it was never like it was with Robin. He adored Jay. He was like his alter ego. Because Jay was everything Bob was. Bob was shy. Jay was never shy. Jay was very outgoing from the time, it seems like, from his birth. And you can you can verify this talking to your mom. He was just Mr. Confident, Mr. Cocky. He, all the girls liked him. I think Bob liked that, that he had this son who attracted all these little girls and, and did well in school without ever trying. You know, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. a it did him in. He didn't try, and so, you know, he didn't finish college for a long time, but it worked for him in elementary school. And I guess <laughs> yeah. that too. Yeah. And, you know, so, and also I think, I mean, Jay was Bob's alter ego in the fact that he was so confident. Bob was not right. that confident. But Jay right. was always, because he had all this adoration. I mean, you can ask Robin from these little girls. I mean, we used to have birthday parties and I think probably at the ages he was, most kids just had their own sex, like boys had boy parties, girls had... Right. They always invited girls. And I remember (laughs) at the head of the dining room table and all these little girls who wanted to sit next to him. He just attracted girls. Right. Which was to his... He's been married about six times, so... Four, four times, four times. Um, but anyway, I think I think 
you know, I, I think Bob liked that. And then when when um, and then we agreed. We tried to have uh, we. Sean was planned. The, the other two. Sean well, is your third Robin, child. Yeah. Robin obviously wasn't planned. Jay, we were just going to let half, what happened happen. So he was not planned exactly, but he wasn't unplanned either. Sean was right. totally planned. I, I, I just, your mom used to say, I wish you'd have another baby. I, but I'm not implying that I had this for Robin. But I, I, I was sort of ready because I was. I was so young when I had my other two. So I was 33 right. years old, and, and Bob was okay with it. So, I mean, you know, I, I got pregnant with Sean, and everything went perfectly. I never had one bit of um, morning sickness. That's why I'm, I'm telling you, I think my body was just too immature physically to totally. be pregnant. I, I think... Because I matured late, later than probably the average girl. So I think by the time I was in my 30s, I was ready. My body was ready to have a baby. Because right. it was a perfect day. I, I cannot even tell you any pain I had. I, I mean, all of a sudden I had this baby. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this beautiful child. I mean, honestly, Alex, he was, he had the most perfect little profile. I remember him lying in the crib because we only had three bedrooms. We didn't have our larger house. We had the house on Medicliff. And I remember the bed next to my bed and looking at this child and saying to Bob, look at his profile. And he looked like his dad. I mean, um, I mean, he doesn't look exactly. I think Sean is a nicer looking version of his dad. And I mean, he's thin. Bob became overweight and Sean will always be thin, but, um, you know, but anyway, uh, um, Bob probably wouldn't have, if we had remained married, he probably wouldn't have been that proud of Sean because Sean was just super shy. Although maybe if he'd had a father, maybe he would have, he wouldn't have been like Jay. Jay was just born the way he was. But uh, even though Bob was different, I think it, you know, he was glad to have a son who was this outgoing kid who attracted all these little girls. And Bob was young like that. So now you yeah, have the whole story. I have nothing else. I have nothing else to tell you. I told you. No, you need to connect. <laughs> no, you haven't, because we haven't. You need to connect, uh, or at least give us a little more detail about how you got from your time in Dallas. That's where my mom was born. That's where Jay was born. And then, how did you end up in Atlanta? So you raised my mom and Jay in Dallas. Um, you're staying at home with them. Your husband, Bob, my grandfather, is working as an accountant, although he never graduated college, which I think is super cool, by the way. I think that's, you know, I don't know my grandfather. I I know the marriage didn't end how uh, it, it didn't end well, um, but I never knew the guy. Um, I can only, the only idea that I have of him is through your lens and through my mom's lens. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I never realized the, uh, he didn't graduate college, but worked as an accountant. I, that to me is like a super cool thing that to know about my grandfather. Um, so it's good to have some positive view of him in some ways. Um, anyway, so. Well, he was smart. And I, I mean, you know, at least in the beginning of our marriage, he, I mean, he loved me deeply. He loved me more than I loved him. I will say that. But, um, you know, then there were other issues, which I, I, I'm really not going to go into this part of my private life. Anyway, we okay. lived in Dallas, and so he was seeing a psychiatrist, 
And um, so anyway, I had this idea. I mean, things had just gone bad. And we were living in Richardson, Texas, had this little house that was in this little new neighborhood full of young couples. We had a lot of friends who were close to our age. I think we were really probably, except for one couple, the youngest. But anyway, so anyway, we had friends. And I, because I had been brought up in the church, I had had integrated Bob into the Methodist church. He became a Sunday school superintendent, if you can believe that, because my dad had been a Sunday school superintendent. And so really he kind of following my pattern of life rather than what his parents had been because his parents didn't go to church at all. His dad was a Baptist. His mom would have never entered a Baptist church and his mom was an Episcopalian and his dad would have never gone to an Episcopalian church. So they just, and they were proud that Bob became a Sunday school superintendent. I I think they were really happy that I had influenced him to go to church, but that's all I knew. It wasn't because I was a good person. It's just, that was my way of life <laughs> that I had been brought up. Um, right. So, um, what I was going to say. Oh, anyway, so there were problems in in Dallas, and so I just thought, you know, I just want to get away from this. Well, Bob always had liked Denver. So, and I was very open to Denver because we, I, I mean, we probably both would have liked to have been cowboys. Uh, we bore... <laughs> Uh, cowboy hats that I, I had bought my cowboy hat at a place called a rancher in Monroe and he went to Fort Worth and bought a cowboy hat the first time he came home with me for Easter vacation when we were at SMU and we were singing I remember I, I, you probably never heard of the song Big D I'm from Big D little A double L A and we were wearing oh, yeah, cowboy hats as we drove along so we were so immature Alex I mean it's a real <laughs> how immature we were and we got married uh, I mean, we were just children ourselves. Yeah. I mean, totally children. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we were 26 years old, and I thought that we were old, and that's very young. But so, um, and I, 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 I'm thinking Bob must have been smart, though, because he had this job. He worked as a, as an accountant in the, um, by this time, he had another accounting job, worked as an accountant, um, in the mail order division of Sears Roebuck, it was like, well, the headquarters in Dallas used to be like the headquarters that we had in Atlanta. You know, they you wouldn't know this, but Sears had different catalog offices around the country. And so he worked in the downtown office, uh, in the accounting office of the Sears Roebuck. In anyway, Dallas. in Dallas. Anyway. Because of problems, and he was going to a, I think he was going to a psychiatrist. Anyway, uh, see, I've told you the, the, the positive parts of my life. Now I'm telling you the, the not so positive. Anyway, Good. He, he was fired. So, okay. Um, uh, Any specific reason that you'd like to offer? Uh, I think because he was seeing a psychiatrist. I think oh, wow. they probably thought he was mentally unstable. Wow. Um, okay. Which his dad was paying for. That's another thing. His dad always paid for stuff that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, his dad was paying for the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And okay. so anyway, 
uh, we decided that we'd give Denver a try. And that was, I was totally open to that because I always wanted to live in the West. You know, I, and so yeah. most of us wanted to be cowboys. <laughs> <We're> real. <laughs> so, your poor mom had these given to her parents. It's horrible. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, um, I took um, Jay and Robin over to Louisiana so my parents could take care of them because I would never have left them with. I don't think that Bob's parents would have even taken care of them. Anyway, and so then we drove to Denver, and all I could think of, because I was like my mother in this way, I could not bear leaving my children. I was so attached to my children. And anyway, we knocked around Denver a little bit. I remember going to a movie and I think I cried in the movie, maybe not cried, but I, I feel like I had tears running down my face. It was with, I can tell you the movie, it was with Shirley MacLaine, it was Irma LaDuce. And all I wanted to do was go home to my children, although I knew my, they couldn't have better caretakers than my mother and dad. Right. But I just couldn't bear to be away from them. And we, we looked just very briefly around the little area of Denver and I didn't like Denver. I missed the. Tr- I, 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 it, well, Dallas doesn't have any trees either. I mean, they just had these scrub trees, but Denver didn't have any trees. It was just all these lots with new houses on them that were unattractive houses. I mean, I think Eastern architecture, for the most part, is prettier than Western architecture. I just, I like the West, but I like the Eastern architecture. Anyway, and so I'm always very well aware of architecture. You know, I like design. So anyway, the whole thing I didn't like. Uh, the neighborhoods weren't like in the mountains. You could see, I guess, the mountains. Were there. Anyway, I just didn't like Denver. So then we went back, picked up the kids. And so my next thing, and I will say that I directed things. I, I, I said, you know, let's try Atlanta. And so... Bob, inter- I mean, I, I don't, I can't tell you all the details. It's been too long ago. But anyway, he interviewed for this job at a CPA firm, and they hired him, which was very surprising. Why Atlanta though? Where did the where did the impetus for Atlanta come? It was just, you know, because Denver's I west, love, Atlanta love, is east. Because my cousins, we went to, to from Monroe. We we went every summer to visit my cousins in Atlanta, and for okay. an eastern city, I thought it was so pretty. My cousins lived in Garden Hills which was an, a beautiful neighborhood. They had a real nice house, and there was a stream. <laughs> this is going to sound really strange, but this is the way I am. Had a running stream. They lived on Birchwood Drive, and there was this stream that ran over rocks that I thought was so amazing because I hated Louisiana. I had no rocks, had no hills. Right. It was just this flat, swampy area. Anyway, I'm telling you my thinking. You're asking so I'm telling right. you, even though this makes I'm a little insane. So Atlanta, <laughs> and then my aunt lived in Atlanta. My cousins lived in Atlanta. Well, some of my cousins, uh, my oldest cousin didn't live there. The one who went to Cornell, he had graduated and he had he was living in Houston, I think. And then they moved to Philadelphia. But anyway, that's another story. But I still had some cousins who were living in Atlanta. And then I, I love my mother's sister who lived in Atlanta. So, I, even though I had always dreamed of living in the West, this seemed like the most practical thing to do, and Bob got a job. And so then he, 
he found an apartment. We lived for six months off of um, the Northeast Expressway. Uh, it was kind of new, and there were some apartments there that were nice looking, which we couldn't afford, that faced the expressway. We lived there for six months, and then Robin went to Hawthorne Elementary. She was in the first grade. Jay was three, I guess, three and a half. And um, then we found this house that had been repossessed that was on Meadowcliff Drive. And so I think we bought that house without any down payment. And it's that street now that has all mansions. They tore down all those little houses. And now it has uh-huh. just these super mansions on the street. I don't know if you've been over there. If you yeah. haven't, you go there. Has your mom driven you over there? I don't remember explicitly, but I know what you're talking about. Anyway, so we lived there, and then um, I, we wanted a larger house, and so we couldn't afford the larger houses that were near Lakeside, where Robin was in the eighth grade, and I guess she went in the ninth grade there, too. Anyway, so we built a house in Dunwoody, and then... You built um, it from... You built it new. Yeah, we bought a lot, and we built a house. Which looks horrible now. At the time, it, it, it looks so cute. I did it real cute, and it, <laughs> it, it really, I did. Alex, I don't take credit for anything, but I, I can. I'm not. I'm laughing because of the comment. I'm not denying it. I didn't say no. You're I mean, wrong. I, I just giggled. I do things like that. <laughs> um, that's about the only thing I, I will lay claim to. I can do design, and I that's right. all, that's all I'm capable of. Uh, I'm not like Caroline. I didn't develop the, the painting ability. I, I I really have great admiration for her. I think she's an amazing person. You're, t- uh, you're talking about my my older half sister, Linda. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I am. You're, uh, this is off the subject now, but your your mom took me over to a studio in Decatur, and and uh, so I was able to see her paintings. They're amazing. They're totally amazing. They're so creative. Um. Anyway. So that's a that's pretty what? much the, the end of the story. Then your dad, <laughs> your your granddad, became involved with um, a, a bookkeeper who worked for. Well, he back up. He opened his own. Well, no, I already, I already told you this. He opened up his own business. Then he took all the clients. Uh-huh. I told you, except that one advertising guy. Uh-huh. And so. Um, Anyway, he became involved with this woman. I had no idea that he was involved with anybody. I mean, stupid person that I am. Uh, But I knew something wasn't right, and I asked him to go to a marriage counselor, and he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, then, um, you know, I, 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 I want a divorce. And so I remember... I don't know why we were on the telephone. I guess he was calling from his office one day after we'd had this conversation. I don't remember how much time had elapsed. And he said, and we were both very calm. I I mean, he hadn't admitted he was involved with anybody. I didn't know. I just felt like there was something else. Right, you knew intuitively, yeah. Uh And he said, but but, and also he didn't, when I said I want a divorce, he didn't try to talk me out of it. So I thought, okay, this confirms it. And but anyway, we were on the phone then one day later, and he said, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm. I'm sure I want to do it." And so, um, I mean, it wasn't an emotional divorce. I went with 
Sean in February. Sean hadn't, Sean, um, you know, was born on the 12th, so he hadn't quite reached his second birthday. And I remember taking Sean with me and toys with me so he could play on the floor while while I talked to this lawyer. This lawyer had been a lawyer for the mother of a friend of Robin's. Um, and so she gave me his name because I didn't know any. Well, actually, I did know some lawyers, but they were friends of Bob's. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, I remember this lawyer very well because he he didn't have, he had, I guess, been in the service or something. He had artificial hands. <laughs> this is a mm-hmm. little aside. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, so it, it was, you know, the, the, the divorce was uncontested and there wasn't a, a big financial problem at that time because this shows you how things can progress so rapidly. You may know this, but because I had wanted this house and I had kind of designed this house, Bob gave this house to me and he had his lawyer draw up this, this um, sale saying for love and kisses, I give this house to, well, Carol Clark or whatever it's that I, I think I still have that Cody. Paper. So, um, so I, I, I legally own the house. So when I got a divorce, I own this house. And, right. um, but then I, I got a job at Nielsen market research and I was thinking, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make the payments on this house. Even though I had alimony and child support, I, I, started to get worried about it and um so i put the house up for sale uh the house sold the day the sale sign was put in, in the yard uh it never was advertised or anything the first people who looked at it and they had a big family bought it i mean i had the house wow. up cute and right. um so anyway and it was it was sad because we hadn't even lived in the house two years, and it, you know it was something that you know we built together, and I had wanted and everything. But right. so that that was the end. So you want me to end the story there? <laughs> no, the story leads up until today. So at the time, were you were you were you nervous? It doesn't sound like you were nervous to get divorced. It sounded like you were almost like. Um, Welcoming it, uh, with, like, well, I, were, were, was there fear? I had no, I had no evidence. I had no person. I just could feel it, Alex. I just knew right. it. Do it. I, I mean, I just did. And because he didn't, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't, Alex. I could just tell. I, I could think of little things, to, but this conversation could go on forever. But, right. Right. I remember Bob used to say things to me like, I love you more than you love me. And I would think, mm-hmm. well, maybe he does, because I don't think I love him that much. But he stopped right. saying that. And I right. remember, I, I, there were just little things. I remember we would sit on the couch to watch TV in our den, our, our new house, and he wouldn't put his arm around me. He would put his hand, he, he just put his hand on my thigh. It was like a little affectionate gesture. And right. stop doing that. Right. <laughs> I don't know if this has any meaning to you, but this I, is profound. This is this is these thing. are not trivial commentaries. No, that's not a trivial commentary. That's a profound statement. Um, 
anyway, I knew he just didn't feel about me the way he did. Right. So, right. Any, anyway, um, uh, so that I, I'm not one to fool around. <laughs> if I think somebody right. doesn't reciprocate the feeling, I don't want to be married to that person. Uh, right. And so, I mean, that's so that's what I did. My my mother right. and daddy used to tell me I was headstrong, so I don't know if that's an indication of being headstrong. I don't know how to uh, I think that. it definitely is. I think it definitely um, is. I think there's probably a lot of women, certainly in earlier area, eras and probably even still in era in today, that like probably have similar suspicions about um, their husband or don't feel the love anymore or whatever it may be, but are fearful of being alone or fearful of not having the income or whatever reason and probably just ignore those feelings or warning signs and just continue on in what they know to be an unhealthy relationship. So, I mean, I, I admire, I admire well, your decision. Well, I think there are, honestly. I think there are probably people like that too. I don't understand them. I mean, I really can't. No, I don't either. Um, I don't either. But, but anyway. And, um, but then again, I don't understand. I mean, I understand the concept of marriage. I understand what it is and I can understand why you do it, but it boggles my mind. Why? <laughs> To me, marriage is one of those things that's like truly explodes my mind. Like, how is marriage such a prevalent and common institution in our society? I, I mean, uh, I, maybe I could see like a few people here, a few people here decide that like they want to engage, uh, like uh, enter into some formal life partnership. Uh, okay, maybe like 10% of the population would do that. Yeah, it seems kind of an extreme thing to do, but the fact that that's just like the path into adulthood to me like is mind-blowing but if you intend um, to have children together it gives your children some security it really does right i understand oh i understand that because right which is why affected it negatively in different ways because of my divorce all three of them right mom, i mean we're gonna really go right we're gonna really go into a, a tangent here so i'm not gonna dive too deep into it but like I think part of the reason they're so negatively affected is because marriage is such a prominent institution, right? If that concept wasn't just like a pillar of society, like the number one expectation of all people, then when that was that's taken away, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But because marriage is the foundation essentially of our society, then when a divorce occurs, it's earth shattering. Right. Yeah. It's like growing up. It's like going back to like growing up when slaves are in chains and then all of a sudden the Civil War happens and they're not in chains anymore. That's earth shattering. Right. It, growing up thinking that God exists and then growing into adulthood and realizing like, wait a second, this doesn't quite make sense. That's earth shattering. So to me, the concept of marriage that it like these until death do us part, contract with God, contract with government, that every, essentially everyone does, or it seems like almost everyone is like pursuing, of course that's earth shattering to a child because a child is raised in a society where like that is the underpinning of stability. But if children were raised in a society where that wasn't the norm, then divorce wouldn't be earth shattering, obviously. You know, it's it's tricky to think because it is it's it's a tricky thought experiment to go down because marriage is the foundation of our society, really. But like that's not how it always was. I think children well, are actually supposed to be raised in tribes. I think children are supposed to be raised communally. I think honestly, probably 
the healthiest way would be children being raised in a small tribe where they really don't even know perhaps who their parents are. Like, obviously, they know who their mom is because he came out of their body. But do they really even know who their dad is? Like, that's probably how our biology is, is designed to like children being raised by the community. And who knows where, the, who the father of this child is, you know? All of the fathers are out hunting wildebeest and uh, yeah, gathering well, I, berries. I can, see that I, in primitive, I can see that in primitive society, but we're, we live in a more sophisticated society now, and people buy homes and cars and, and furniture. And yep. they, yep. you know, I mean, it's just practically the most expedient thing to do. And when you right. have a divorce, right. it messes things up. Right. So I, I think totally. people yeah. live in harmony, like my own parents. It, I mean, my brother and I have a very stable upbringing. I think, I don't know, if my parents had been unfaithful to each other, maybe the fact that Bob was fooling around would have been more acceptable to me. But uh, I, I well, I mean, the concept of the concept of fooling around, right? The con this notion of fooling around is based on a mer is is a is like a deviant from a marriage based society. If you live yeah. in a communal society, there is no such thing as fooling. Yeah, around. Fooling, yeah, what yeah. is that? That doesn't even what is fooling around? Yeah. There's no such thing. Everyone has yeah. sex with everyone. You yeah. know, so there is no yeah. fooling around. There is no well, emotion involved. That's it's not a personal thing. If the person who fathered your child also fathered a child with another woman. That's just how it is. It's not a personal thing. There's no emotion involved. And I don't, I, I'm speaking out of turn here a little bit. I don't, I'm not nearly well read enough. I don't have nearly enough historical or anthropological knowledge to truly be speaking on this. I'm, I'm really just offering commentary based on my personal observations. Um, but yeah, it seems, it seems, well, anyway, of course, well, divorce I mean, shatters I, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I knew how you felt about this, but I mean, just on a practical level, I, I just think it works better in, in a more yeah. sophisticated society yeah. for us to have this kind of culture. Yeah, yeah. you so, may, you may be right, um, or maybe um, we like, maybe this is a transitionary period and we revert back to a more communal society, or maybe we. I honestly probably what's going to happen is like sex. I think probably we go to a point where like we we go to a kind of like a non-gender type future where we're all kind of like these gray blobs that don't even really have <laughs> sex organs or like sex certainly isn't like this driving factor of our existence and like I imagine with technology we'll fully um harness the procreative elements of our nature. And so probably we'll end up making children in a more scientific way that doesn't involve like uh, physical pleasure and uh, emotion and jealousy. Or I imagine we're going to evolve beyond our sex organs at some point. Um, well, maybe so. I don't, I don't know. Procreation has been around for a long time. And I'm thinking about not just people, animals. And, you know, I mean, they... Some animals are are more like what is it the is it the coyote or is it the wolf that only has one partner? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think there's I examples know in some, there. You know, yeah, um, I think there's. I think maybe I ducks know. or something are monogamous I or I, I don't know. I, I, anyway, I know there are some animals who have one partner and that's but I can't right. think what they are. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So anyway, we're getting off topic. These are topics that need yeah, it. Well, I know. <laughs> you, you're you're more you're more qualified to speak on than I am, quite frankly. But anyway, okay. So let's talk. Let's let's kind of uh, close out the final chapter here. Um, so you get divorced. You now have these three kids on your own. Um, where when you were in Atlanta, were you doing joint custody? Were you, they seeing their dad? Like how did that? No, what did life no. look like at that? No, I had custody of all three of them. And so, what, would they ever see their dad? Uh, no, yeah, he would come because since he had become involved with Donna, he had bought a, a little Mercedes sports car. You've heard that story, right? Maybe. Well, anyway, I, I didn't understand why he bought a little Mercedes sports car because we couldn't all fit in it. We had three children, and oh, right. I thought I, you've heard this story. Jay and Robin yeah. were sit this in this awkward position in the back and I would hold Sean while <laughs> we drive around in this and I couldn't care about less about cars. They mean nothing to me. Right. But I guess right. I'm always I always think that maybe Donald encouraged your dad or maybe he wanted to show that he could buy I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't understand right. it. Um Yeah, it seems I don't know. It seems kinda of like but, a, a way anyway, for him to live an alternative life. Anyway, go uh, ahead. But anyway, I had no, I had custody of all of them. But then, you've heard about the fight we had with Jay, and so I, I, I was so upset with him. I called Bob to come get him, and so uh-huh. then he, he just wanted to stay with his dad because he right. was mad at me. And so then he didn't right. stay with his dad. We moved to Monroe, and then he didn't get along with Donna because by that time Bob had married Donna, and I, I don't think. He liked her children. At least I know he made fun of the girl. I think the boy, Philip, he liked all right. And so then he came and he spent a year and a half in Monroe. But then he didn't like, you know, the whole environment. And I I, I could really understand that because we were living with mother and daddy who had sacrificed everything for us. I mean, they they must have had to borrow money. They had built a big family room on on the back of their house and then a, a, a completely new bedroom for Robin so she would have uh, her own room and a, a big walk-in closet for her. I mean, they did everything for it. I mean, I had the, the greatest parents uh, anybody could ever right. have. Anyway, but it was uncomfortable for Sean because, I mean, for not for Sean. Sean probably was happy that he had his big brother because they uh, were relegated to this room which had really been a den. It was pine paneled and everything, but when Mother and Daddy mm-hmm. built the new family room, they made that into a bedroom. And so Jay and Sean shared this – well, there were twin beds. in the. And so I'm sure – Jay was a teenager. I'm sure it didn't thrill him to death to be with his little three- and four-year-old brother. And so anyway, uh, plus Mother and Daddy, especially Daddy, was very strict about things. And um, so um, anyway, he just stayed with us for – a year and a half, and then that was getting divorced was not the most traumatic thing that ever happened to me. It was Jay not not coming back. That was the that just pulled out my gut because I had no right. idea he was going to do that. He went home ostensibly to spend Christmas with his dad, and then he didn't come back and. 
I probably told you this story. He had, a, of course, Jay always had tons of girls fawning over him. So he had a little girlfriend named Margaret, which Robin, she may have mentioned that name to you anyway, because she was a friend of Robin's too. Anyway, I remember Mar- Margaret and I going to the airport to um, wait for his plane. And his plane came in and OJ came off of it. And wow. so I, I guess I called. Must have called from the airport. I don't really remember. Anyway, I found out he wasn't coming back. And Margaret and I both sat there and cried. And I, I have never felt so devastated in, in my life because I thought I had my child back. And then my child, I mean, it wasn't just that I didn't have my child back. I mean, you know, Jay had, done, this was like, this was more cutting to me than Bob being involved with somebody because I love my children more than I ever did Bob. And so this mm-hmm. just killed me, you know, for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And not that you should, you should probably love your spouse more than you do your children, but I didn't. No. <laughs> and, no. Um, I disagree. I disagree completely. Oh, well. Yeah, anyway. of course you love your children more than your spouse. Your spouse? Who's your spouse? Your spouse is a random person that you guys develop yeah. deep uh, emotional connection for and then ultimately develop a codependence, I think that's much more like uh, addiction, not more addiction than love, but it's part love and part addiction. Your your child is like, it's a piece of you. It's You love it more than yourself. You love it more than life itself. I mean, I feel that way with JoJo, and she's not even my child. I feel that way with my nieces and, and nephew, and they're not even my children, you know. I love yeah. them more than I love myself. I love them more than any girl I've ever been involved with, the, the combination of all the girls I've ever been involved with, you know. I could, And I've never even had a real child. Well, um, I, 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 I've not ever compared notes with people about their degree of love for their spouse versus their degree <laughs> of love for their children. So I don't know how other people you know, feel no, exactly. I, but yeah. anyway, that, that was, my how old was, was the worst thing. how old was Jay when he didn't come back? Uh, he was in the middle of his sophomore year. So wow. he fit of, so of high he, school. Yeah. So he finished high school, um, at, um, what's the, I can't think of the name of that really good high school in Cobb County. Ah, I can't think of the name. Walton, Walton. And that's Walton. where Jay, that's where, uh, where um, his, his Bob, had, Bob had finished Ooh. high school at Walton when it was brand new. No way. That's not right. How could he have finished high school? Who finished high school? Well, anyway. Alexander? He high, and, your, and it your, wasn't much better. Walton was much better than Neville. You know, I mean, okay, more, yeah. the people yeah. more sophisticated and and everything and then um his dad had a better house than i had and so you know um uh, i don't know there was some materialistic element too yeah. i mean i always thought concerned as well i mean i i feel like jay is, and i and i don't mean to be saying this in a condemning way it's just the fact i think jay is more materialistic than robin or, or sean that's just the way he right. is um, right. So, so he, I think he enjoyed that. Uh, you know, he had a girlfriend and uh, was very accepted. And um, I think he probably goofed off at the school, but he was going to the at that time the best school in the whole metro area. Um, right. And um, 
anyway, but then he called us to come over for his graduation. And of course we went, I mean, I was just so grateful to have some connection. And so your mom and Sean and I flew to his graduation and I remember his dad was there, but he must've been not been getting along with Donna. I think he had not a good relationship with her after a while. So she didn't even come to his graduation and his dad, I remember was sitting on the other side of of the um, the auditorium, or it was a gym, I guess. Anyway, uh, he came over after it was over, you know, to see us. And that's the first time I seen Bob. I think it was since we were divorced, and so he hadn't seen Sean. And Sean, at that time, was a really cute little boy. He had very blonde hair, very straight hair, and and just was a nice little kid, and I had him. I always dressed my kids real cute. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> so he was dressed real cute, and he, he. I mean, Bob had had felt some kind of feeling for this little child that he hadn't seen mm-hmm. since he was a little toddler. But I don't know. He didn't act like it. But I keep thinking he right. must have. But and then of course. um Sean didn't have any memory of his dad because um, he hadn't seen him since he was, you know, a little toddler. Um, so, but anyway, Jay, um, I think wanted, it's really, I'm telling you a lot more than you need to know, but I think he really wanted to show off that he had a family. I'm thinking this is all supposition on my part. I don't know if this is what really happened, but it, just my feeling that he had not had a good relationship with his dad and Donna for a while. So now he had this new family, you know, his real family. And so he had us, he took us all over to meet his girlfriend's family. And I mean, then he wanted us to go back to her family and see him the next morning. And so I really felt like Jay was showing off the fact that he had a real family. (laughs) Right. And this is unnecessary story that I'm telling you, but it's really kind of, you know, strange. <laughs> so yeah. no, that's interesting. But anyway, so y'all, so y'all go back to Louisiana, and then at some point you decide you're going to go to college, or were you already in college at the time? With you I, went to college, you also went to college with my mom. I college, I went to college as soon as I could enroll in college, because I had to, I had to support myself. Um, mm-hmm. and and then I, I don't know, somewhere along the way too, Bob. Well, I, I, see, I was getting child support for three kids, and then um, and then alimony. Child support was equal to al- the total child support was equal to alimony. And so when Jay went back with his dad, I mean, of course, he stopped, you know, giving me alimony for Jay, which was fair, but still, it cut into my total income. But I, no, I always planned to go back to school because I, that job I had at uh, Nielsen Market Research, I knew was not going to tide me over it, and I had no confidence that I was going to be paid alimony for the rest of my life. And so, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, so I went back to to Northeast, and uh, I uh, had original. I think I've told you this story. I had I had never planned. To teach elementary school, I, I didn't like being a teacher. Period. But I especially did not like lower the, the lower level kids. So 
I was majoring um, in art edge. No wait, I can't remember. Maybe I was maybe I had a double major in art and English, secondary English, not ever elementary. And um, so anyway, I, I, I don't know why they did this to me. I guess I did fairly well in English because um, one of the college teachers called me one day and asked me if I would be interested in a teaching assistantship in English. And I thought, oh, good, I'm going to major, I'm going to concentrate on English, not art. So I, you know, I accepted. I was flattered. I I was scared because I just didn't really think, I mean, art has always been my thing. I just didn't really think that I could do that well in English. And by that time, I had this really good friend, John Perry, who I met in an English class. She was working on her master's in English. And she told me this horror story about how you, you have to take your verbals and you, you're you seated at the table with all these English instructors and they ask you all these literature questions. And she told me yeah. that she got so frightened that she had to ask permission to get up and go to the restroom and get herself together before she could come back and finish her work. Wow. And I thought, I could never do this because... Jean's background was English. Her undergraduate degree was English. My undergraduate degree was art education, you know. So, right. but my minor was English. And but anyway, I was flattered, and so I thought, okay, maybe it, because I hated the art department at Northeast. It was so lousy. But I had some good English instructors, believe it or not. At least I liked them there. I mean, I thought they were on par with what I had at SMU. So anyway, I was going to do that, but. I didn't know how I was going to support myself, you know, ultimately, because I just didn't think I could count on the alimony. So anyway, I had this phone call then after the the uh, teacher, the Northeast teacher had called me, offering me a job at, um, what was the name of it? Um, anyway, this little junior high, I can't remember the name of it, on the south side. You heard this story, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, this, so you talking about back in I, Atlanta? No, this was in Monroe. Okay, uh, we were still in Monroe. So I took it, and it was horrible. It was so hard. I had done my student teaching in high school because I was always in secondary. I wasn't in, you know, in in elementary education. I was always secondary. So I had I had dealt with older children, and this was, um, I think it was seventh and eighth grade. I think that's the way they did junior high in Monroe. It was horrible. I could not control the kids. Have I not told you this before? I don't want to probably. go into something I've probably No, go into it. Anyway, yeah, I but this isn't about so, me. Huh? You go ahead. Anyway, I felt so inadequate. I could not do anything with these kids. They were just wild. Uh, there were mostly black kids, but there were some white kids too, really. And it was a poor section. So these kids were all very poor. And I feel sure I told you this. I remember the by, the first day I was there and, and all the people who were in my homeroom left and I stood at the door because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. 
I mean, I've had no no contact with junior high kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I, anyway, the my first period filed in, and I went back to my desk, and I had all these stuff, all this stuff on my desk. I mean, just an assortment of stuff like pencils and pens and and scotch tape. They had taken everything off my desk. They had stolen everything. There wasn't anything left. I mean, I could not. Make- and anyway, to back up though, before my first day of class, I had gone to meet the principal, and he had just pointed in the direction of the class. Didn't walk down with me or anything. Handed handed me the key to the classroom. I opened the door of the classroom. There was glass all over the floor. I, I assume they'd had a fight at some point during the year, and nobody had fixed the window or anything. And I guess maybe that's why, as I'm telling you this, I'm thinking maybe that's why he didn't ever go back down with me because we would have looked in the room together at all this broken glass on the floor. Are you still there? Because Robin's kicking in. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I'm here. I'm here. She knows. Any anyway, it went to condense this. It went from bad to worse. I, I had all the, these unrealistic ideas of how I was going to teach art and design because that was you know fresh in my mind. All these kids wanted to do was leather craft. I explored the room before before the school started and. There was nothing. There were there were no brushes. There was no paint. There was nothing that you'd ordinarily find in an art room. There were only bits of leather and these hammers, where they would hammer in the design in the leather. And so, I mean, you know, I was. I, I mean, I just thought this was awful. I mean, I, I I just, you know, this was just incredible that this was all they did. And the guy who had taught the art class probably could have handled the kids because I found out he was the, he was either a coach or an assistant football coach. So I'm sure he didn't have any art education at all. They probably stuck him in there because he couldn't do anything else. And so right. anyway, I had kids who had been in his class the year before, and they would say, when are we going to do leather craft? And I would say, you're not going to do leather craft. You're going to you're going to principles of design. I mean, I was such an idiot, you know. I was, and so I mean, just to condense this story a little more, I had no control. The kids did every, anything they wanted to do. Uh, they talked back. They they didn't pay attention. I had um, this um, junior high supervisor who would come at intervals to grade my performance. She gave me the most horrible grades because I was so nervous because I knew the kids would just do whatever they wanted to do. It didn't matter that somebody was observing them. They didn't right. care at all. And yeah, so I know I the drill, yeah. I got these horrible, horrible grades. So at the end of the year, um, I thought, you know, I can't go back for another year. But anyway, I, I was not... I, I was not rehired. The guy, the principal asked me how I felt about it, and I told him, I, you know, that how I felt about it. And so I don't remember what he said. He probably said, well, you know, this probably is not, you know, the situation for you or something. But he was an idiot. He had horrible grammar. They just hired anybody at that school. I mean, whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
So, That's not nothing has changed. I mean, our education system hasn't changed in that regard. A shitty school will hire anyone who's willing to take the job. Well, anyway, I was very naive. So then, you know, I I um, thought I I wasn't meant to be a teacher. <laughs> so then I. But you I stuck with it. Look. Huh? No, I. Didn't oh no, you changed. It. Then okay, I, yeah. then I Go ahead. Somebody told me that they were opening up an art department at the p- newspaper. So I went by and I talked to them, the advertising manager, and he said, yeah, that they had not completed it, but they were going to have an art department. So I worked there for three years. I totally enjoyed it. Um, I, it was fun. I mean, it was fun. I, I mean, I, my salary was very low, but I was having fun I, and the whole mm-hmm. time. And then I went to a a party of that someone was having somebody I went to high school with, and I met this guy who I had also graduated from with high, from high school with, and he was a vice president. You don't remember Howard Brothers because I'm sure it probably was not even there when you were born. But anyway, um, well, I mean, and you were a baby anyway. But anyway, it was a discount store like. Um, well, like Kmart or Walmart or something. Anyway, this mm-hmm. guy was Steve Newsome, and he talked to me at the party, and he said, "Oh, you're never going to make any any money working for the newspaper." Which I it was very low, but I, I mean, I was happy there. I was so happy there. And he said, mm-hmm. "Come and talk to me sometime." And so anyway, I did, and so he hired me, and all I did was illustrations there. I didn't even have to do layouts, which I did at the newspaper because that was back then when they did layouts. They weren't computerized. Well, the newsroom was computerized. Mm-hmm. But um, so I just did illustration software illustration. It was my job was totally fun there too, but I didn't like the people I was working with as much as I, I just thought the people at the newspaper were more intelligent than the people at Howard's. It was a and it was a class thing, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but, I mean, it was just a different class of people. But I worked there for right. years, and then a guy who was also working in the advertising department applied for this job at Fields, which was a ready-to-wear uh, small chain in Monroe and West Monroe, and he got the job as ad manager, but I knew he wouldn't work out. I, I knew he just was not the type of person that Fields would want. So he only lasted a year. So then I went over and I applied for the job and I got it. And I, they were only too glad to have me because I was going to handle all the advertising and do all the illustrations as well, which had been done by this other girl that they had hired to do illustrations. But they got me for everything. I, I The right. only person who worked for me was the person who did store dis- displays. And so essentially I was it. I mean, I... I was supposed to um, narrate fashion shows, but and I was only there for over a year. But Alex, I worked—I I never have worked so hard. But I really liked what I was doing. It was superficial, but it was—it was fun. And we opened an, a new store in what then was new, Pecanland Mall. You remember that in Monroe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Opened, yep. I, and I got my clothes at a discount plot price. They had really nice. Um, anyway, but I decided after a while, I just couldn't stay in Monroe any longer. And then Jean Clark, Barbara Clark's mom died of 
lung cancer, and I remember sitting in her hospital room thinking, I'm not going to stay here anymore. And so I gave um, uh, Mr. Blumenthal, who was the owner of the small chain, I, I told him I was leaving, and I thought I was trying my hand in in Atlanta, and so I, naive person that I am, I thought I could stay with my brother for two weeks and get a job, and so I I couldn't, and so I went back to Monroe, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Mother, I think, was kind of disgusted with me at this time, and she said, well, I don't know what you can do either except just move back in with us or something. And so what I ended up doing, um, I was still getting a, 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 a little alimony from Bob. I, I don't think I was getting child support. But I I called Fields to see. <laughs> I, I just swallowed my pride and called Fields to see if they had hired an ad manager. And they had by that time, but they didn't have anybody. The ad manager couldn't do illustrations like I did. So what what ended up happening was Fields would bring the clothes over to my house. Robin bought me a easel, which I still have down in the basement, and I would I would do the illustrations in the front bedroom of my house on Marquette, and then Fields would would pick up the illustrations. So I ended up doing the illustrations <laughs> anyway, even though I wasn't the ad manager. But of course, I wasn't paid, paid very much. Anyway, so after I did that for a year, I thought, well, I'm just going to... And Sean wanted to move. He didn't like Neville. Nobody has liked Neville in the family. And so he was a sophomore, and he was just so ready to move. So I just... I left him with um, your mom, actually. And I guess the last month he was in school. I don't know. Robin probably remembers better than I do. And I came to Atlanta... And I just worked at various clerical jobs. And um, I, I'm telling you way more than you have time for. I'm going to cut it off here because <laughs> I'm thinking of some more. Well, wrap it about. up. Huh? Well, yeah. Well, well, okay. Well, don't go into all the detail, but give us the general overview. So you're working clerical jobs in Atlanta. Um, and then at some point, like, Sean comes over. My mom comes over with me, you know. So tell us that. Well, I did this makeshift portfolio. I had never applied for a job with a portfolio. And so usually if you're an art graduate. Okay, so this might be too much detail. Huh? (laughs) Okay, so let me, let me, let me guide, let me guide you to it. So you're, so you're back in Atlanta working clerical jobs and at some point you get a full-time job at Home Depot, correct? Yeah. Yeah. In the graphics department. Yeah. Okay. And then at that point, you felt comfortable enough to bring Sean over financially. Oh, he he was he came over before, when I was still doing clerical, working as a secretary okay. and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, okay. he was. And where were y'all living? We lived in this wonderful, beautiful place. It really was that Sean found. Um, I don't know if it's still so wonderful or beautiful. I thought it was. Um, I thought it was condos, but it turned out they rented apartments called the Accolades. It was kind of across from North Springs High School. Uh-huh. Beautiful apartment. Had um, yeah. Anyway, I won't describe the apartment, but I mean right, it was right. absolutely beautiful. Had two and a half bathrooms. Had brass 
Right, right. Okay. Nice apartment. Cool. Anyway, while I was looking for jobs, Sean at this time had not discovered the North Georgia mountains, so he would explore the downtown. He would take the bus and and go into every high building in town. Sean is always right. So this is how he passed. Sounds like me. Um, Yeah. And then he 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 met Lee. You you know Lee, right? His friend Lee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Sean is being raised. Sean's going to high school there. Let me wrap up some of this for you. So Sean's there. He's 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 going to high school there. He graduates high school there. He graduates from North Springs. He goes off to UGA. He becomes a veterinarian. Um, at some point during this time, my mom decides that she has you know she's had me at this point. She's had Katie, my older sister. Uh, she's also getting a similar feeling that like I should not be raising children here in Monroe, Louisiana. So she decides she's going to move to where you were. Um, she she went to, as you kind of briefly mentioned, she went to undergraduate uh, with you at, at Northeast, what is now University of Louisiana Monroe. She graduates from there. That's when she gets pregnant with Katie. She then gets pregnant with me. Neither of the two separate fathers, uh, and neither of those relationships work out. So she's all of a sudden a single parent, just like her mom is a single parent. And she decides she's going to move to Atlanta as well. So she takes me and uh, my older sister to Atlanta. I think we briefly lived and with mother, you in your house. And my mother. And my mother. She oh, and your mother. Yeah, so your mother at the time was in poor health. And a grandmother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, daughter, baby, a grandmother. And they all go to, to Atlanta. And I, I believe we stayed with you for a while. And then my mom got her own house. Your mother yeah. lived uh, with you in your house. Um, yeah. And then, okay, so then you can take it from there. So now we're in like, uh, you know, I was born in 88. So this is, you know, last years of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. Um, now, you know, our family is said my you young – my... You interviewed your mom. She took it up from there. You know from there what happened. Yeah, I know from there what happened. I mean, I know a lot of this stuff, but I, I'm trying to just, you know, paint some of your life story um, uh, for other people. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, so then – you have your daughter and your grandkids. We lived, we grew up just a few miles or I mean, what, two or three miles from, from where you still live and where my mom still lives. Y'all both still live four, in, four uh, in four, th- miles. four miles, four miles apart <laughs> from each other. Um, and eventually you left your job. How did you uh, go from Home Depot to teaching elementary school again? Oh, well, you know, they kept a lot of the people on who were younger. See, I was old by that time. I was working right. with fresh out of college. Everybody seemed to have gone to Florida State or the University of Florida. The guy who was head of the ad department had graduated from there, and that was always my feeling that he gradu- that he hired graduates from the school he went to. I don't know if that's true, but that's just a Probably. level. Anyway, so uh-huh. these kids, these kids – New technology. So we went right. from hand-drawing layouts to using the computer. So right. I, I talked to, um, I think the guy was the vice president of advertising at the time. He was a nice guy. And I was like pleading almost for my job because I had to have an income. And uh, he said, he was really nice. And he said, well, it was just a judgment call. I remember those words. He said it was just a judgment call. And it was right. I mean, his judgment was was right, but it was devastating to me because I didn't know how I was going to make a living. So 
they gave those of us who um, were terminated, I think maybe three or four months salary. I don't know. We we were given something, you know, because it wasn't like we were fired. We were terminated because right. they didn't do computer, which I couldn't have. Um, I remember one day they allowed those of us who were terminated to come back and just fool around with the computer. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, this is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Anyway, um, so I thought, what can I do? And I didn't want to go back to teaching, but I had to support myself. So I thought, okay, uh, I didn't, I didn't like secondary. I'll just go back to um, primary, elementary, and so I got a certification in um, in elementary, and they wouldn't let me count in much of my coursework at all for another degree. And then I got my master's in elementary, and again they would not make uh, count most of my coursework for for the master's. So I was 57 years old before I got my master's. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's crazy. I, um, so when people tell me they're old, you know, I think, ah, you're not old. And uh, Yeah, I think that all the time. I think that all the time. <laughs> and, by, and by that time, I'd also had breast cancer. So I was, and I'm not saying this to say, oh, you know, you should pat me on the back because it wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. They gave me some medication finally, so I wasn't that nauseous and really going to graduate school was like a diversion it kept my mind off of you know the chemistry wow, so, you, so i i wasn't wow, like, you were going oh, to, you were undergoing chemo while you're getting your master's yeah but it uh, they had come up with a shot so only one time was i all out sick i i, I didn't I, I i i remember my first chemo uh treatment and i knew i was going to be sick but I didn't know how sick. I don't remember. Sean was still home. You know, I guess he was, I guess he was in college. I don't know where he was. He was somewhere. <laughs> anyway, I remember going in the bathroom and throwing up and thinking, I know Sean must be hearing this, but he doesn't even get up. He doesn't have any compassion at all. But anyway, after that, they they had, the, my, um, my doctor told me that they had developed this, shot i don't remember what it was called what the medication was and so he called my insurance company to see if they would cover it and so after that i got a shot after each chemo and so i only one time was i sick after that i remember turning on south atlanta street i was think i'm sure i was going to your mom's house and and throwing up on the steering wheel but that was it and so it wasn't i mean i don't feel sorry for myself at all it was not at all bad to be going to graduate school because it was the total diversion that got me off of, you know, what I was, I, I was doing. I, the only, the right. only problem that I, it did mess up my white cell count. And so I did have to learn to give myself shots in my thigh for that. And uh, I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this <laughs> twice a day. And I remember taking shot with me. We had to go view this, um, uh, this, um, uh, movie thing on a, in an office building on Peachtree Dunwoody, and I remember dragging Sean along, thinking Sean's gonna have to give me these shots. I can't do it, but I learned to do right. it. Right. So. Um, yeah, I remember. You know. Yeah, well, I remember doing a similar thing with Morgan when she got diagnosed with diabetes. All of us going to like some sort of tutorial in uh, yeah. Scottish Rite or wherever we were about how to, you know, inject insulin and all that. Yeah. 
So how long did that's, I mean, that's badass. That's, I mean, you sound like a, a, a tough lady. No, uh, that's admirable. That's super. Had breast cancer. My mom had breast cancer. No, I I, I mean, I'm just, I'm so glad. Alex, that was when I was in my middle 50s. I'm 83 now. And so, no, it was just, and I I mean, I had friends who had it who lost all their hair. And I remember, (laughs) I remember one night I had washed my hair. I used to wash it in the bathtub and stick my head under the faucet. And a lot of hair came out. And I remember, um, coming out of the bathroom saying to Sean, come here, I want to show you something. And I showed him the, these masses of hair, and he said, I remember him saying, you're never going to make it. And I didn't think I was either, but I did. It just got a little thinner. But, I mean, I had friends who totally lost all their hair. I mean, you know, just had more scarves. So, I mean, no. Wow. I mean, I, yeah. I was lucky, very lucky. Wow. Wow. So how long did you end up? T- so you ended up teaching. Like I, rem- I remember my recollection of you during my childhood is that my grandma was a teacher. And then when I tell this story of like how I became a teacher, I kind of say that I was like I come from a family of teachers, we're educators. My mom was a school psychologist. My grandma was an elementary school teacher. My older sister was a special education teacher. So I used to tell people when I was a teacher, like yeah, it's just the family business. I, so no, you ended up being I a teacher. Good, I was not a good teacher like you and Katie. I was just not meant to be a teacher. I didn't like it. I never liked any part of it. I, I, I had one yeah. year at an elementary school when for some reason, this was when I was at Avondale, because mostly the kids were, <laughs> Avondale Elementary is in a beautiful older section next to Decatur. Decatur. Avondale Elementary was incorporated way, way back, I think, in the 20s. The houses are beautiful, the mm-hmm. lawns are beautiful, but all those kids were sent to private schools. So I, I did not right. have yep. any of the neighborhood kids. One year, I'm thinking, I don't know this to be true, but I've always thought that the parents must have gotten together and decided they were going to send their kids to Avondale Elementary. And that year, I had amazingly smart kids. I mean, one one uh, guy, his name was Jeffrey, and he tried to keep in touch with me through middle school, and it's just my fault. I'm sure he probably would still be in touch with me. But his dad was in, um, some kind of engineer in the space program, and eventually they were transferred to Huntsville, Alabama, you know, where all that space program mm-hmm. goes on. Anyway, he, I mean, the smartest kid I ever had met in my life. I guess he was close to Maybe he was a genius. But I had I had all these other kids. I had a girl who was really smart. Her mom taught English at Georgia State. Um, I had twins who were really smart, male right, twins. Right, right. Go ahead. Anyway, no, go ahead. I remember uh, this was in the second grade, and I remember the third grade teacher telling the principal, "I want to have the I want that class that Carol Clark had in the second grade." <laughs> But then they all finally, I think they left and they went back to their private school. They didn't, you know, they didn't stick around. And so it was, yeah. I mean, it was a real thing. And even though we... Yeah, I remember it, thinking that as well. Go ahead. Anyway, I mean, you really can't blame parents who can afford to send their kids to high caliber private schools. I mean, because they want the best education they could get for their kids and they... 
They want them, you know, with kids of equal ability. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, no, can't, I, I, they, I can't yeah, really it's, say it's bigoted, you know, maybe it is in a way. I mean, I no, know. I don't think it's bigoted. I don't think it's bigoted at all. If I were a parent, I would, I mean, being a teacher, you move at the pace of the slowest kid in the class. I mean, a good yeah. teacher perhaps finds a way to not make that the case. And hopefully you move at the pace of like, you, know, you can't move at the pace of the smartest kid. Um, you shouldn't move at the pace of the slowest kid, although that's usually, I think, things where things tend, uh, right? And so if you're a good teacher, somehow you, you try to find a way to move at the pace of, like, the middle. So everybody, you know, the, the slow kids get pulled up, and, you know, you try to kind of incorporate the super smart ones as kind of like little teacher helpers, ideally, you know? Um, and, you know, we're trying to, like, push them in their own independent path in some ways. And that's what teaching, teaching is so hard. It's a virtually an impossible task at the end of the day. But, yeah, I would totally understand if I was a parent of a kid. Uh, it's not a bigoted thing. It's like, hey, if my kid's performing at a higher level, you know, I want him moving at the fastest pace possible. I don't want him being held back by the kids that are performing at a lower level. Um, and, it, 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 and, you know, it's not an intelligence thing necessarily. It's it's a socioeconomic thing at the end of the day, right? If you come from a poor family, you're more than likely your parents are poor because they were uneducated. And so they don't, you probably haven't received the proper education before kindergarten and you're not receiving the proper support at home. And yeah, part of that is perhaps like, um, like inherent biological intellect or whatever, literal neurological capacity. And but most of that, I think, is, you know, I think most people, generally speaking, are born with essentially the same tool set, you know, with degrees of variance, obviously. But, you know, I think true academic performance is primarily dictated by your parents and how yes. much they push you prior to you ever entering kindergarten and, like, w what your, liter your literacy back on there. And then, of course, how they're pushing you as you progress through school, you know, um, can they help you with your homework? Can do they read to you at night? Uh, are they supporting yeah. you with project? You know, you know. So it's not but, like a dumb versus smart thing necessarily. It's you know, a parent. It's a parent thing. I, Alex, I want to interject this, and this doesn't have to do with me. It has to do with you. But I, I want to say, I was so impressed with the way you handle things when you were a teacher in Phoenix. And I wish to goodness I could show, well, most of my friends are deceased now, but at the time I would, and I still, the few friends I have who could appreciate this, I would love to have that video that I saw of you and the way you handled your kids so creatively. And I know they were low-achieving kids, but, I mean, you made, I think you made all of them like school. And I would think if any of them could be motivated to do something beyond elementary or middle school or whatever you were teaching, you did that for them. You made learning fun, and, and I always admire that, and I'm glad for an opportunity to say this, even though it's supposed to be my interview, because I could not do that. I, I did not have the, the, the creativity or the motivation. I, I mean, I know, I mean, I, it's my impression that you don't love teaching anymore, but Alex, you are a good teacher. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I, I Thank you for saying that. Um, I don't know that I've made learning fun. I made learning a priority, um, unlike in a way that they had never experienced before. Yeah, and um, they were really and I, into and I, it. Yeah, yeah.
And I made discipline and accountability and work ethic and self-reliance and cause and effect a priority in a way that they had never experienced before. So it wasn't as if they were coming to my class excited for the new cool science experiment we're doing today, but they came to my class knowing that today I'm going to grow as a person. And today, Mr. Youngblood is going to hold me accountable. And today, Mr. Youngblood is going to force me uh, to uh, reach my potential. And he's not going to accept me not reaching my potential. And kids will resist that at first. Um, but they know, you know, really after about a week, they recognize in perhaps not even consciously at the younger ages that, like, this is what I need. And especially the kids that I have taught, the population of students I have taught, almost all of them coming from single-parent households, single-mother households, grandmothers, aunts. Um, you know, I play a role in their lives that they've never had before. So it's much less about my delivery of academic content in some fun or novel no. way, and it's much more about just um, uh, having a loving influence uh to support you in a way that uh, most of the kids never have so i appreciate you saying that but you are it's natural a, alex you are a very you were very much a natural because i think of oh totally i never first year, I, I mean i i just didn't want any part of the kids you took the kids at the level they were at at the time and the and the parents and you molded them i mean I never, anyway, I have, because I've taught myself, I have huge respect for what you did there. And I'm glad oh, to have well, an opportunity you. to say that to you. Oh, thank you. It's funny <laughs> you say that because literally, literally as throughout this conversation we've been having for the past several hours, one of those kids is calling me up literally right now and oh. asking me to call him back for to continue that, to have that support. That the, so, yeah. Is that the kid in Billings? Yeah, that's a kid in Billy. I'll, I'll be calling him. You know, this kid I had well, in third grade, you know, and I'll, I'll call him up. I'll call him up right after you get off the phone with you. Well, I want to send you some money because I think Robin sent money that was supposed to be for me, and it wasn't for me. I haven't sent any money. Well, I'll let you two handle that after. You will call my mom, and I will call him after we're done here. Okay, well, I have, I, another time when I have a conversation, I want to ask you about him. Do you think there's a solution for the COVID well, let's thing not that, get it. Yeah. Well, let's not get into that right now. Let's finish up your story because okay, we are yeah. multiple hours okay. into this conversation. Um, uh, okay. So you're a teacher. You retired as a teacher, and then um, how to close this thing out? Um, you're a grandmother now. You're a great grandmother now. Um, what do you want for your? Uh, your 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 offspring your offspring and your offspring's offspring like what do you what would you like to see us do with our lives your grandchildren now your great grandchildren even your children something that was satisfying to you and would make you happy and fulfilled that's what I okay. want because that's what I wanted well, for myself so I can't I, so I have to want the same thing for you <laughs> right I want to say from my part just on my part I feel like I'm oh, like an explanation to you for my life uh, in some ways. Um, 
I know I live a very unconventional lifestyle and I know we come from two different eras and even from my, even like in my peer group, you know, my friends that I grew up with and my friends that I've met in adulthood, like even to them, I live an alternative lifestyle. Even to them, my decisions are strange and they perhaps they disagree with them. So I'm certain I can't imagine how it is for you coming from an entirely different era of existence, looking at my lifestyle and having to talk to your friends about what I'm doing and things like that. I know it probably seems very, uh, obviously, obviously alternative, but perhaps entirely disagreeable. Um, but I just want to let you know, um, well, first off, there's been mental illness has played a significant role throughout my life. And so it's kind of derailed my decision-making a little bit. And like I was talking about when we first did this interview um, five years ago, I was going through uh, an incredibly difficult period psychologically to where I said, you know, like I, I mentioned, like I just didn't want to be alive. And so experiencing those. You know, your mom has derailed... gone into great detail, but she sort of alluded to that. But I don't think she would talk to me about that. I mean, extensively, you know. I'm, I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead. I my, about, my, my mental yeah, health. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that, that has certainly influenced or has kind of derailed my development as a human being, certainly throughout, I mean, my entire adolescence, you know, uh, that my, it was being derailed. I was never able to focus or develop in any sort of way because it was just surviving the day from age 10 to age 20. It was just surviving the day. And then even from age 20 through age 20, eight, uh, really from age 20 to 30, uh, it's bit, it's not surviving the day, but still dealing with mental illness cropping back up throughout, uh, you know, throughout different periods of, of that decade. Um, and I think now entering my thirties is the first time I'm gaining some sort of, uh, confidence, psychological stability, perspective, um, a sense of peace in a way, um, but I just want you to know, like, my life decisions, even with mental illness affecting them, um, is conscious. Like, I'm making very conscious and very intentional decisions. And so, like, right now, I'm working as a nanny, my friend's nanny, living in his backyard. That's a very conscious decision. Uh, the I do, you know, you know how I feel about marriage. Um, I don't know if I will ever have a life partner, but I do know I want to have children. And so, me coming out to to do this job is very much, very consciously, very intentionally preparation for fatherhood. It so also it just so happens. Want, does it make you want children more being with the little girl, Jojo? Um, it doesn't make me want hmm, that's an interesting question. It's both yes and no. Both yes, it totally confirms my desire to have children, even more so than before I came out here, but it makes me want to delay that as long as possible. I moved out here thinking that let's go to LA and learn how to be a dad. And I've always wanted to live in Southern California. So those two were perfect, you know, so I'm working for a friend of mine. I don't actually have a boss or a job. And I love that. Um, I'm working. I'm work. I don't even think of it as a job, right? I feel like I'm gaining invaluable skills in how to be a, a father. So yeah. that is phenomenal. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my ever made in being a teacher, you know, and it's straight cash. Um, wow. And so all of this is very intentional. I'm living exactly where I want to live. 
I'm doing exactly what I want to do, and I'm being paid more than I've ever been paid before. And so while ostensive, like from an outsider's perspective, it may look like, what is this 32-year-old grown man with a master's degree living in his friend's guest house, taking care of his daughter? I, I know that doesn't look great on paper, but I promise you, it is a very intentional decision for me to develop the 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 human skills that I want to develop to the, in a way that I that uh, going down a path that I think makes me the best human I can be, and uh, all all of my decisions, uh, my decisions, all of the professional decisions I have made have been very intentional um, and very purposeful. Being a teacher, being a personal trainer, doing nonprofit work. I know I don't stick with any career path. I know as a grandma, you would probably rather me see me working in a job and, uh, you know, growing my bank account and buying a home and starting and meeting a nice girl and starting a family. But that's just not me. Um, so I just want to let you know, I just want to let you know that I am living the life that I want to live. It may not be the life that other people want me to live, yeah. And I and don't get me wrong, I don't have a clear path of exactly where this is going. I don't have a clear next step, but I mean, I think I should be given some credit in like I'm trying. There is no path for what I believe in and in my perspective of existence. There is no clear path. I'm having to forge my own path in a forest that no one else has forged for me. There is a very clear path for a conventional lifestyle. You go to college, you meet a nice girl, you get married, uh, um, and you continue down that in a very intentional... What the? Alex? Uh, Alex? Okay, I'll go. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, Lucas just stepped in and was talking to me. Um, so there's a... Uh, um, I'm trying to forge my own path and there's no clear steps. There's no clear outline, right? There's no, there's no get the degree, get the job, meet the girl, buy the house, have the kids, save for retirement. I'm not going down that path. And so I'm having to kind of figure out my own path along the way. So of course it's going to be stumbly and it's not going to be pretty. And then on top of that, you combine that with mental illness. And so it's going to be even more stumbly and even a little more messy but I just want to let you know personally, from my standpoint, I promise you, I'm not, I'm not like totally lost. I am lost well, in some ways. Like I am trying to figure my way through life. But I, I just want to assure you um, that I am living my life in an intentional way. That I am living my life in a purposeful way, and I'm making decisions um, that I think are best for me, uh, and fully developing the person that I am. Alex, I anyway. really appreciate you talking to me like this. And I mean, I think that I think you should do what is right for you. I, I don't think you should follow any pattern that is a traditional thing if that's not your thing. Uh, but I yeah. appreciate. But I, you know, I've never had you talk to me like this before, so I appreciate everything you said. And um, and I know. I mean, that's very difficult to take a non-traditional path. Because um, people do have expectations, uh, and I, you know, I, I really don't know that much about, you know, your, your problems, your, what, your mental or your emotional problems, uh, that much. Your mom doesn't talk to me about that so much, but, um, 
anyway, I, I mean, I, from what you're saying to me, you've had to overcome a lot. And I just, you know, I, I wish you the best and find what is most satisfying to you and gratifying to you. And yeah, and I, if you had stuck yourself into something, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you hate teaching, but apparently you don't like teaching like I thought you liked teaching, but you don't want to make yourself miserable. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, you're still on your, it sounds like your exploration of what you do want to do. I know that's oversimplifying it. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't think it is. I think there, I, I don't know if there's like a destination to be reached, right? I think, you know, the, the, the the destination what is what is the term like the journey is the destination or something uh, I don't yeah. I don't know there's some sort of saying um, but yeah I'm, I, for the first time in my life honestly for the first time since elementary school over the really since I've moved to L A I feel like I am not swimming against the current of life um, that I am on the right path I'm not sure what that path is it's just kind of like put one step in front of the other every day. Um, I don't know exactly where I'm headed, but I want to be a father at some point and I want to be the best father I can possibly be. I don't want to have any regrets about yeah. that, obviously. And, and I, at, at, like your, like your son, my uncle, Sean, I want to explore. I want to constantly explore new geographic locations, new and interesting people of all types and all walks of life. And so I know there's a lot of travel ahead in the future. I don't have an exact career path, but right now, you know, I want to learn how to be a dad, so I'm ready. I'm totally ready and prepared for that when that time comes, because it will come, and it may come totally out of nowhere. Um, and then other than that, I want to explore this entire planet as much as I am capable of exploring. And as I do that exploration, I want to talk to people and have conversations with people of all types and just get their life stories and their perspective on life and share my perspective on life and my perspective on experience and that's what I'm, that's what this very conversation is. And you were the first one five years ago when I wasn't in a good place mentally, I took the first step towards going on this conversation journey, right? With you. And now here we are again, five years later and we're picking that up. And so this podcast, these interviews is, is a part of whatever journey I am on now. Um, I already, so, I forgot this was a podcast. Is this going to be, oh, this is going to be available to other people? <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be available oh, online, Alex. hopefully tonight. Oh, Alex. Alex. You have not said anything. You have not said anything that's controversial. You know, and you've actually very intentionally kept, you've actually very intentionally censured yourself throughout. And now I wanted to probe more, but I took your cue and I have not probed no, in areas I, where I, I really wanted to probe more. I haven't censored enough. I've told you more than I intended to. <laughs> so you may think it was censorship. On my part, it was total divulgement. <laughs> okay. Well, I have some more questions that perhaps I'll be asking you uh, off off the air. Um, but we'll see. Okay. But anyway, I want to thank you very much. I want to. I love I'm you too very much. To I want to thank you. you. Uh, me too. Me too. It's, it really helps me complete my entire picture of who I am as a person um, to talk to you. So but thank you not only for doing this and sharing your life with us, but thank you for being my grandma. I feel like I am, I feel, I, you know, in some ways I got, I feel like I got kind of uh, a raw deal with not having a dad or having the dad that I did have. But in some ways I feel incredibly fortunate to have the mom that I had, I have, yeah. 
And I wouldn't have had that mom if it was, yeah, I couldn't have a better mom. And I wouldn't have had that mom if it wasn't for you. Like you made her. So, so no. I feel very fortunate to have, to have you as my, as my mom and to have. <laughs> She's her own person. You know that I can only claim giving birth to her. She has just, you know, okay. but I mean, well, I, I know you have had a lot of things. To, I mean, a lot of challenges, but you are lucky to have her. You are. Oh, yeah. 1,000%. And I'm lucky to have you, too, because I consider you a special person as well. So so thank you. I thank you. I don't deserve that, but I thank you very much. And I'm very fortunate to have you as my grandson. All my grandchildren are so smart. Um, and anyway, I, I, I know you've got to get off. I was going to tell you something else, but it's it's not related to anything we've been talking about. So I love you very, very, very much. Thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for being my grandma. Um, well, thank you for being my. I look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I I know. Well, I hope so too. Okay. Well, All yeah, right. we got to figure it out. Send me pictures. All right, thank okay. you. So- I will. I love you, Tony. Thank you. I love you. Bye.